So Dom may have cheated on his exams, but we're here to talk gibberfish, aren't we, Dom? And I'll do it again, I tell you, I'll do it again. <laughs> you gotta do what you gotta do. So, uh, yeah, this is our first podcast back in like a month. And, uh, yeah, it was to let you work your way through your exams, because, I mean, making you record nonsense as well as actually study for a profession would be kind of cruel, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be. I think I could have done it, though, because I hit this random, I hit this awkward wall when I was studying, when I thought, it's open book. I can just have my notes there. I had my laptop sitting there open with all the slideshows and shit that I could just, you know, scroll through and get the answer. I kind of just hit that point where, like, do I need to revise or just need, do I just need to put tabs in books and have the book next to me? Yeah, you tried to explain the like the, the procedure you would have to go through for the exams, and I was like, it doesn't really feel like an exam because they have to, they can't bring you in to do the exam in person. Yeah. So the result is the you guys all do it online, and you can basically talk to each other. You can. You can like look at all your reference notes. You can look at all your materials. Yeah, literally, I had a stack of books and my laptop open. If I really wanted to go the whole hog, I could have had my brother sitting on another laptop just going Google this act. If I really wanted to take it that far, but now it it didn't feel like an exam. It definitely felt less of a memory test, more of a just how much can you get down in four hours. Which I mean, it's not a bad idea because it's how how different are exams to like the real life application of whatever you're learning? This doesn't have to be about law. This could just be about anything. I really think the exams uh, kind of fail. I mean, I personally fucking hate exams. Not because it's a two and a half hour stress-filled window where you just need to recall a case from 1823 or you need to recall a medical procedure that was first thought up in the early 1900s. But it's just, when you go into the medical profession, when you go into the legal profession, you go into any other kind of profession that requires expert or expertise, you're going to have notes. You're going to have references. Doing an exam that's just two and a half hours of you trying to recall shit, nah. Yeah. No one's gonna actually re- require you to stand on on like on the square in the middle of the room and recite the entire like UK Data Protection Act from memory. There's yeah, no there's like, no real application for that knowledge. Yeah, and that's something what I've been trying to change for the past two years. Like even to the point where I've been part of the student council and stuff at university, and I've said that the exams don't work. You're never going to be able to. Like recite case and legislation off the top of your head unless you are obsessive but most people have other shit to do like even the lord advocate himself probably enjoys a drink every now and again like he's not going to focus solely on the law yeah that's uh i mean if anime has taught me anything it's that the student council is the most powerful force in the universe but i don't yeah, know in how anime the student anime. council sucks dick in real life <laughs> it's it's the weirdest like meme or like weird uh, trope that appears on TV shows is that student councils actually fucking matter. I have no idea who gave them this idea, but it needs to kind of fucking go away. Oh, dude, it's it's hilarious because there are some people in the student council that have watched those TV shows and assume that the student council president, the student council vice president, or uh, what they they call it, the Edinburgh Napier Society oh, uh, Association. Christ. Uh, president, they think they have the real authority in the university. But then the dean or the vice dean just steps in and goes, "Settle down, you're a figurehead. There's <laughs> something for the students to rally behind. Sit the hell down." There are grown-ups in the room. We will be taking all of the important decisions. You can pick which banner to uh, make for the upcoming, like I don't know, 
Uh, do you guys still do uh, like pro before coronavirus? Did you guys do proms and stuff or like dances or like student events of any kind? Uh, there was a lot of student events, but quite a lot of them got cancelled. This was before C virus. This was because uh, there was a few societies that abused their budget, so they had the end of year ball cancelled or they had their events cancelled. There's the there's the tech ball, which all the kind of engineer students have their one big to do. Uh, there's the law ball, which for the law students, and there's the like the med ball, the eyeball for the optometrists and the medical students. Really Personal favourite one out of all of them is the eyeball for the good. optometrists. <laughs> but, eyeball, uh, Jesus uh, Christ. Yeah, I've never been to a single one. Uh, I didn't even go to prom in high school because I was given the choice. I could go to my high school prom and be bored for three hours and get two and a, or one and a half bottles of beer or I could go to download and drink all the beer I want and go see cool bands. Yeah, that one was... Uh, I, I remember that happening. You just like going, I'm not going to prom, I'm going to download them. Like, shit, I didn't know that was an option. <laughs> that, yeah. Should have taken that one. Because I remember in, in era high school, you could only go to prom if you had certain point. if you had your points all in check, if you did good throughout the year, didn't get any penalty points or any uh, referrals to the, the, the principal's office, to the, the rector's office. And uh, like I I never had any of that crap, so I just said to someone, someone who doesn't want to, or someone who doesn't have the points to go to prom can just use my name and go to prom. <laughs> so it's, someone else pretended to be me for a night. I'm sure it was a, a great experience for them. Uh, fifth year prom was actually not that bad. I quite enjoyed it because we did a Kaylee. So we had basically a giant Kaylee dance where everybody was all like suited and booted. Most of the lads are wearing kilts to look fancy. So it actually was pretty cool. It wasn't that, it wasn't yeah. great. But still, I mean... Yeah, I mean I'm High school prom, it always seemed like it could have been a cool thing because it's traditional Scottish Kelly, and despite being you know heavier set, I do enjoy a good old Kelly. But it couldn't compare to download. Like I was nah, nothing getting, I, I was getting blitzed in the field in twenty two degree heats before <laughs> some of the best bands I've ever seen. I, uh, I I I don't regret going to the fifth year one. The sixth year one was just a fucking waste of time because it was all disco music. And I was like, I, I just wasted an evening of my life. I'm never getting this back. I could have stayed home and had a much better time just drinking. Because I'd actually, I think our six-year prom was the day after my 18th birthday. And I forgot my ID. I couldn't drink. I legally could have, but couldn't. Because I didn't have ID on me. Absolutely devastated. Total fucking waste of an evening. So I always thought even if I did go to, even if I forgot my ID back in the day, I still would have been able to get the drink. Because I was always that guy. Always the guy that looked older than he actually was. And the grey hair had set in, I'd already had like a tiny chin strap beard growing in, so I already looked in that kind of awkward mid twenties stage. So I was always the guy that was Don go and get us a pint or Don go and get us beer. See, I wonder if that still works now because we're all like we've all been that kid. Like we've all been that person who's just a little bit they look a bit older, so they, they pass yeah. for the, the ID check. But now those people who did that are now working in the shops. I wonder if they call out more people for cards like pre-coronavirus I actually found out that uh, like the local shops are not uh, IDing for energy drink just now uh, so like I went and got like cans of monster I was like wait you guys aren't going to carve it like the system doesn't even stop you anymore just to reduce the number of uh, interactions so <laughs> it lowers the risk of uh, infection for the, the shop workers I mean it makes sense the, the ID for energy drinks was, was always a good thing but it was slightly annoying because you just go and you think you got a quick turn of monster. 
then next thing you know you're having to pull out your ID and then apparently you don't look enough like you and your ID so you have to wait for them to check it and shit like that. Yeah. Just well, a nightmare. One of those great SNP ideas. Yeah. Cheers Sturgeon, I mean I appreciate all the work that you're doing but at the same time could you just fucking not be the grandma? <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, I will, I will stay in defence of Sturgeon, she's doing quite a lot of good for the country, it's just this one, like if you get that sorted you're fine. Yeah. But the, the energy drink thing was annoying. That's one thing that's really weird about the whole uh, coronavirus lockdown right now is um, England has decided to go back to work in some cases. <laughs> Boris Johnson's speech on the whole thing was fucking hilarious because it was basically go home, but stay home. Like, stay home, but go to work. But don't go to work, but go to work. But stay home, but don't drive. Go, Don't use public transport, but use public transport. Put, put it in the oven and set the gas mark five and cook for 20 miles an hour. It was... Like, Cook for twenty miles an hour. That's fucking perfect. That is that is exactly the, the tone non- of that speech. It was the most nonsensical, just conglomeration of nonsense words. Like, I add a banana to your pillow, then sleep for thirty-five minutes. By the time you wake up, you'll be a golden rooster, and you will lead the people into the new revolution. Like, what the hell was that? How was that a plan to stop coronavirus? I wonder if he had some kind of like stammer that he was trying to just talk over, or had some kind of weird just mental break where not like a breakdown but just a point where he decided i can't use real sentences anymore and just proceeded to force words out of his face maybe he has an upper class english form of tourette's instead <laughs> of swearing and those kind of abusive words he just says like things like parsnip and rub it on your toes and that somehow makes a sentence yeah i i watched his uh his delivery of it and then immediately found i think it was matt lucas from uh, little britain his like his version of it, where it's just him rambling random sentences together. I'm like, I, I honestly think yours might make more sense than Boris's, and you're a comedian trying to take the piss. I'll, just talking about Boris Johnson because we should get the unpleasant shit out of the way first. You see that uh, Miriam Margoyle's got in trouble for saying that she wanted Boris Johnson to die, but then realised that was a horrible thought and said he said immediately that she wanted him to get better. Then of course Twitter being the nice place that is, just decided to fucking rain down on her she is a 90 something woman uh, i think uh, i'm maybe. right saying that she's about 80s 90s she is also maybe. a retired actress who just says whatever she thinks because again she's an 80 something year old woman i don't give a shit if she's gonna mouth off she she's at least mouthing off at the right person if that makes sense i don't mind yeah. her uh her spouting off at the hip yeah she just seems like the 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 older person that just can't be arsed with this whole <laughs> like this uh, she's 78 78 okay not that far yeah. off yeah i mean you you were in the right ballpark i think she's just the kind of person that's done with this whole tiptoeing around things she's like fuck it, i'm gonna say what i think <laughs> have uh i'm gonna just out my my own family right now uh, i've found out that my own mother is now on the the side of look i'm all for the lockdown but i need a haircut I'm like, holy fuck. <laughs> my uh, my brother got it in the ear at one point. Um, I think it was just a couple of nights ago where she just said out of nowhere, uh, yeah, I really, like, I think it's time for us to kind of open back up a little bit because uh, life, it just isn't normal anymore. And you're like, you understand what's going on here, right? Like, yeah, there's kind of a pretty <laughs> low mortality or pretty high mortality rate of a disease kick- kicking about. We need to deal with that. I don't mind so much, but uh, both my parents are in their fifties. They're, yeah. they're, I mean, they're reasonably fit, 
but again, still the age is going to be a bit of an issue. Hmm. Uh, you know, I just I'm like, all it takes is one little underlying health problem, and I don't know what everyone's current status is, but I don't think uh, I think people are just getting to the point of saying, "Come on, guys, the 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 cost will uh, it will be fine." We need to start reaping some benefits here. And I'm like, we are going to be absolutely fucking slaughtered in the second wave of this thing. Because I, I feel it's coming. I think the, the yeah. English opening back up again is going to start a second wave of coronavirus in the UK. I, I said this for the very beginning. We're go, we were going to go into lockdown. We were going to stay safe. And the minute that uh, like those dealing with the, the country's economics and people dealing with the country's finances and the country itself, the government, are going to see that it's dipped down below a certain level and go... It's safe to go back out, and then those numbers are going to skyrocket again. And then we're going to have that second wave where more and more people who thought it was safe to go back out are going to get infected, and then that's going to just create another wave, and it's going to you know keep permeating on and on. So I'd rather just stay inside for a bit longer, uh, deal with the fact that my hair now resembles uh, Jim Halpert from season one of The Office. <laughs> I'm just going to have to deal with that for a bit longer, and just suck it up. Yeah, like I... my hair has now went completely grey because of how long it is getting. There's not a single blade of black hair on my head. I cannot wait to see this. This is uh, yeah. that might now be my new reason for lifting quarantine, guys. We need to see Dom here now. This is getting ridiculous. Yeah, uh, I want to see what's up. I think if I get it cut, it's just going to compound the grey, so my hair's going to be completely <laughs> silvery grey now. I, and I'm okay with it. I, I'm growing out the quarantine beard. I'm not going to lie. I, I just the fact that everyone is gradually lowering their standards of acceptable, you know, physical behaviour or physical appearance. I means that I've I've got the confidence needed to let the beard grow out. And it's actually quite enjoyable because it's it's getting quite decent size at this point. It's bulking out and I kind of appreciate it. I'm just letting my beard grow as it is, letting it grow on natural as the French say. But I need to constantly trim the neck beard. Oh yeah, you can't have the neck beard. There needs to be a because solid length. Yeah, and there needs to be an acceptable line, but I'm afraid it will join my chest hair and I'll just have some kind of big tunic of hair <laughs> that starts from my chin and descends down to my waist. You got a blacksmith's apron of uh, of beard hair. <laughs> yeah, it is bad. Like, Who was um there was one other thing as well. We uh so due to the lockdown there was there's all these weird uh protests happening. Uh, you've probably seen them in America. The UK versions have started up as well. Um I think it was like last week maybe. Maybe even a bit before then, but uh, we we obviously have had our own protests and stuff over here. But then there was the uh, celebration of VE Day, Victory in Europe, which was oh that shit pissed me off fucking severely. Two meters apart doesn't mean have a two meter apart fucking conga line. Yeah, the two the... meter apart means that if you have to go out, stay two meters apart. The conga line, I'm mad. That fucking pissed me off. Part of the uh, part of the celebration originally for VE Day was the street parties. In the UK, yeah. and everyone was like, "Let's bring back that VE Day spirit." And you're like, "No, bring back the Dunkirk spirit. Do your fucking duty by your country. Stay the fuck Stay home." The hell home. And uh, the as Dom mentioned, if you haven't seen a clip of the two meter Congo line, holy fucking shit! It is the dumbest thing. <laughs> it as Dom said, it makes you so angry that people are like, "Don't worry, guys. We find a yeah. socially acceptable way to social distance and party at the same time." I want to throw every one of you into a fucking wood chipper feet first. Jesus yeah. Christ. <laughs> I loved all the, the things on Twitter that were or Twitter and Facebook and stuff. It's just they, they posted the video and it was just how do we solve this? And I've been playing a lot of Resident Evil 3. I'm just saying let Nemesis loose on them. Like just start rocket launching people in the <laughs> in the street. Like you wanted to conga line, we'll conga this bitch. Put them with a rocket launcher. 
I just it was it was baffling, and uh, it's it's a real slap in the face to that people are actually putting their lives in line, like NHS workers, people who are out like working in shops, people driving trucks everywhere, people making the country run in this limited capacity that we can do right now, only to then have them just decide, ah, fuck it, we'll throw a party anyway. I wonder what the infection rate has been around that area in the places yeah. where people are doing the celebration and and every time we have these developments like every time a big uh news story basically develops around coronavirus the scottish argument for independence becomes a lot clearer oh yeah like, uh, it's going to be i think a lot of people are having that conversation either with themselves or with others when they when it's coming to this it's like it's the argument for independence is now becoming a lot easier to hear before a lot of people are just going nah let's let's not do this but I think a lot of people will be changing their vote now. Yeah, I think we, we, we're now realising we are two entirely separate cultures, more so than ever before. So that's why, I mean, Scotland's still walking down. <laughs> and you, you've, you've had so many uh, occasions where, I mean, in America, the governors are defying Trump, or they're, like, contradicting or correcting his information as it comes out to apply it to their states. And we now have Sturgeon doing the same thing here in the UK, where... On the Dave Boris's new like kind of shift of uh, the phase into like phase two or whatever it is, where he changed the slogan for the UK from uh, "Stay inside, save lives, save the NHS," it became like that weird "Stay alert, be cautious, back to work" slogan or whatever the fuck he's got now. I, I thought it was "Stay alert, like, stay or like stay alert, keep distance, control the virus or some crap." Like. Because, again, everyone's just been memeing the shit out of this. Yeah. Like, uh, my favourite one was, you put your left leg in, you put your left leg out, you do the hokey-hokey and you turn it all about. <laughs> I've, I've got it here. It's stay alert, control the virus, save lives. Uh, yeah, Boris, mate, you're, you're about to kill a lot of people. Yeah, it's going to be bad. It's going to be real fucking bad. So, yeah. Here... I, like that, uh, I like that Nick Osterton's response to this was, we in Scotland, we're going to stay indoors. I trust you people, don't let me down. Yeah, her, her conference is actually pretty funny because there's the, there's the, it's literally just her and then the uh, interpreter for the deaf is behind her, she like signing away and obviously they're doing social distancing and her message is so clear is, we are not going back to work. Do not, on mon- do not go to work on Monday. I will beat the fuck out of you if you go to work on Monday. Personally, myself. And the signers behind are like, uh, I guess beat the fuck out of you can be translated to sign language. What the fuck? <laughs> it is, uh, it's a mess. Yeah, it is a shit show. It's an absolute shit show. But I think through all of this, the message is abundantly clear. Just stay inside. Only go out if you need to. Even even if it's just, I don't know where I was going with that point. But yeah, stay the fucking safe. <laughs> it's weird that as they were trying to capitalize on the whole World War Two thing, and I don't know if it's just because it became a meme for a bit. But why did they not bring back the keep calm and carry on type thing? Hmm. It's a weird, it's a missed opportunity for marketing. I'm just saying. I'm pretty sure that the government or whoever originally owned the rights to that doesn't own the rights to it anymore, and it, because it's now. Like the keep calm and carry on thing has now been co-opted by so many other different organisations that they just think, we can't bring this back for other reasons. Mm. Very true. But I, yeah, I think it's been... I mean, the message stays the same. Yeah, like, once it's just, on like mugs and t-shirts and all that, it's pretty much gone. Yeah. Like, why do you think no one talks about Che Guevara anymore? Because 
like Che Guevara sold more key rings and phone lanyards and berries as, as than a anything. militant anti-capitalist. I wonder how he feels about that. I really do. <laughs> He's probably fucking regionally. He fought for to bring down capitalist regimes, and now he has sold more merchandise than any band that you can think of. Just the ghost of Che Guevara screaming in the in the heavens all night long. Just, just he will not stop. Chain screaming. smoking Cuban after Cuban, just head button the wall. These motherfuckers! <laughs> it's, Everything I stood for, you assholes. Actually, that's a good point. They have literally defied his like defied his personal will of being recognized for what what he stood for. It's the same thing as like the uh, the V for Vendetta masks. Like those yeah. are those are like we're supposed to be anti-establishment. They're made by Warner Brothers. Every time yeah. someone buys one of those, every time someone sees one of those and goes, "Oh, I should buy one," it's like four or five quid in their pocket. Yeah, I almost bought one. I'm glad that I didn't. Yeah, I just kind of if Alan Moore, the guy who wrote, wait, was it Alan Moore? Yeah, yeah, I think it was Alan Moore, well-known anarchist. When he wrote V for Vendetta. Of course, I could be wrong about this, but when he wrote Via Vendetta, I can imagine him just thinking, I'm going to make this cool image that I hope the Christ isn't co-opted by, you know, Anonymous or any other shitty little group <laughs> in the future. If he's seen me wearing one of those masks, I think he'd just run up and punch me in the face. Like, that's not what it stands for. It's part of the neckbeard uniform as well. I mean, if you're trying to avoid that lifestyle, you really need to avoid that mask as well. Yeah. Although I've been watching a lot of videos on YouTube about Cicada, that 3301. Like, that is just... A lot of neckbeards just thinking, I'm going to be the smartest person on the planet. Oh, wait, how do I do this? What's this? I've Surprise. never heard of this before. you never heard of Cicada. Cicada was this weird, like, almost alternate reality game thing where it was, they released this image, and in the image was these little coded messages that you had to go and download external software and you needed need to solve this puzzle. Then once you solved that puzzle, you got another part of the puzzle and it was more complicated coding and computer messages and stuff. And it's it's interesting to watch, but all the people that are talking about it is just are not people that you would trust to deal with this stuff. It's all the quote unquote neckbeards that troll 4chan because the guy literally found it through 4chan. Right. It's it's pretty interesting to watch, but yeah. Given all Google people. and yeah, it's uh, an ARG basically, just hidden yeah, puzzles. That, okay, right. I th I think it's I think it could be or would be classified classified as an ARG. Yeah, there's one part left to Cicada, the latest puzzle that no one can crack. Because, I don't know, maybe they got bored and decided to go for ice cream or something. <laughs> At a certain point, it's like, this is not going to be worth it. This will never yeah. be worth my time. Fuck it. I mean, I hope that's what they did, because it's clearly just somebody with a little bit too much time on their hands. From the Wikipedia article, many have speculated that the puzzles are a recruitment tool for the NSA, CIA, MI6, a Masonic conspiracy... Or a cyber mercenary group. So I want to believe that in my heart, I want to believe that this is really just a ploy by George W. Bush. <laughs> he's just decided, I'm bored of shit, I'm going to put this out and see how, see how many people realise it's all W. He, he loves to paint, maybe he's somehow found a way to translate that into some weird kind of cyber uh, art that he's just distributing to the internet and just watching people freak out over it. Maybe he's put coded messages into his paintings. Maybe we're part of the message. Ever thought yep. about that? Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the new round of Cicada, I think he's your one. <laughs> it will <laughs> the make George fuck Bush sense. Interactive Library. You ever stop to think, well, that's not too many books. What's well, more interactive? You need to find the messages. The George Bush Interactive Library. Jesus Christ. It, of all the presidents, 
to not have books in the library. His it makes the most sense. <laughs> yeah. Like it, it goes back to the the Robin Williams bit. It was always funny watching uh, Tony Blair and George W. Bush in the same room because jo- Tony Blair would give this eloquent speech about whatever the fuck he was talking about, and George W. Bush would always be looking at him, just going, "I can spell most of those words." <laughs> George Bush was probably the most, like, before Trump, was easily the most abused president of all time. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. It was horrifying to, like, tune into, like, the news every day and be like, this is going to be a sketch on this Friday's, like, whatever show, like, uh, Dead Ringers. Did he appear on Dead Ringers? He must have. Yeah, John Coleshaw got some money out of both Tony Blair and George W. Bush. (laughs) Oh yeah, that's the guy. Yeah, because he would appear on uh, uh, Mock the Week, and you you just be waiting. You're like, here comes the here comes the bush lines. Here comes yeah. the here comes this and that, and it was uh, it was a while before you could take him seriously again. Like when uh, like Colshaw like wasn't doing those impressions, it was like, are you actually funny, or you just got a really good uh, version of uh, Bush? Yeah. I think in think nowadays he he kind of makes his money doing. It. Impressions of other actors for audiobooks, because the last thing I seen, the last thing I seen John Coleshaw in was him doing an impression of Tom Baker for a Doctor Who audiobook. It's a pretty good, it's a damn good impression, like almost one hundred percent there. But to go from Dead Ringers that went on air every week and on radio every weekend to Doctor Who audiobooks, it's kind of a big fall. I forgot that uh, he was like they made Dead Ringers into audio as well. Yeah, it started off as a radio show, I think. Mm. Then they just kept both going at the same time because it was popular as hell. Yeah, it worked. It was uh, it was it was one of those like classic British comedy things, and uh, we've already mentioned them. But uh, Little Britain tried to do a bit of a comeback during the like, coronavirus lockdown for what was it, the big weekend or big big comic, uh, comic relief? relief? I think. Yeah, was it uh, comic relief? So they tried doing a bit of uh, at home, imp- like uh, sketches based on their characters, but it <laughs> it didn't work. I didn't yeah, really it enjoy wasn't that wasn't it offensive or people were offended by it yeah but then it's kind of one of those that doesn't really narrow things. down the content though yeah I mean if you've actually gone back to re-watch Little Britain which uh, we did uh, me and my, my brothers all went oh yeah I remember Little Britain let's all give it a watch and try and cast back the memories and then oh shit I forgot the show had actual blackface in it like shit, wow yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's probably my favourite part of if I could have a favourite part of lockdown, it would be the fact that I've been going back and rewatching a lot of things. Because, mm. uh, like I said to you, I've watched. I think the newest thing I've watched recently is uh, Jojo Rabbit, which fucking outstanding film. Loved the hell out of that. Uh, but we'll get into that later. But I've been rewatching uh, Scrubs, which is still just a knockout show. Like I was, uh, I was watching an episode of the Scrubs where uh, JD's dating a girl whose godfather is a uh, Billy D. Williams. Yes, I remember that one. And like when Turk starts freaking out because he's met Lando Carissi, and that still had me pissing myself off in this. <laughs> this and this was a show made during the writer's strike of all things. Oh. And it's still funny. Oh yeah, I remember that the How long was that writer's strike? It wasn't long, was it? It was only eight... I think it may have lasted the last part of two thousand five and a bit of two thousand six. Yeah, it was like a six to eight month period or something like that. It wasn't long. Yeah, so I remember uh, John Stewart on the Daily Show actually kept his show going, and got absolutely fucking slammed for it by Seth MacFarlane, who was making Family Guy at the time, and he just said, "I can't believe you're white, 
breaking the picket line. You're a fucking scrub. Like you're you're done in this town. And obviously, you can't just like cancel John Sure, That's not a thing that you can do. No one has that power level. So, uh, like both those guys, like it was a weird thing that like two of my favorite comedy icons have uh, or had for a long while a seething hatred for each other. Almost always need to stop and think. Right, John Oliver, English comedian that was Zazu. John Stewart, not the Green Lantern, but the American comedian. Yes. <laughs> And weirdly enough, uh, both worked on The Daily Show. Did they? Oh, yeah, so they did. Yeah, John Oliver got his big break on The Daily Show. He was around in the UK for a while. But, uh, like, one of his recurring yeah. jokes as an American comic is that no one in the UK actually likes him or knows who he is. Yeah, he wasn't the greatest uh, on Mock the Week because I think that's where quite a few comedians get their armour, so to speak. Like I say by getting your armour, it means like you build up a bit of confidence you do some topical humour on Mock of the Week, then you go out and do gigs and shit. Uh, John Oliver never really got that. He had some good one-liners. He had some good jokes in there, but more often than not, he would get kind of crushed by all the other comedians in the room. But you're going up against comedians like uh, Frankie Boyle at the height of his power. Yeah. So you you were never really going to beat that. Like To put that into comparison for those who don't know UK comedy, um, imagine just like trying to get your first like big break uh, in boxing, and the person he throw you against is like just out of prison, Mike Tyson. Like you're the one who's gonna break him into boxing again after prison. He is coming yeah. to fuck your shit. Yeah. Although speaking of Mike Tyson, I see that the the fight between him and former All Black center Sonny Bill Williams has been cancelled. Okay. And all I can say is good for Sonny Bill Williams because he was going to get destroyed. Like one million dollars would be easily spent on you getting your face reconstructed after Tyson tore you apart. Yeah, the, the footage of Tyson like doing some training, like doing some quick sparring and working against pads and stuff. Jesus Christ, that, that has not left his body. Yeah. And we talked that's, about that's it. That's someone who has regretted retiring from boxing. He'll probably start coaching very soon. I um I don't know. I mean, I, if you talk to, if you listen to his stuff, I don't know if you listen to his podcast, uh, Hot Boxing with uh, Mike. Just I hot- tried to listen to the the podcast with him and Eminem. I couldn't understand them. <laughs> I, like, I can't do this. <laughs> his uh, his appearance on Joe Rogan was kind of like, oh right, you still you still sound that way. I, I yeah. was kind of hoping you'd have worked your way around that, but okay. So he makes for an interesting choice of podcast host, but yeah. It's a weird I mean, thing that everyone's doing a podcast right now, so yeah, be a bit hypocritical of us to really call somebody out for that one. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm not calling them out. It's just like it, it was a natural thing. He's probably got some stories to tell. So the problem is that everyone who walks into that set immediately has to suck his dick because it's Mike fucking Tyson. But it makes that yeah, first he half, will bite your ear off. Like it just it's just weird that you have to listen to someone explain how great Mike Tyson is. I'm like, yeah, I know. That's why I'm listening to his show. Like, I, I I love and respect him. A lot as well, but I don't need to hear about how like your your mind is just blank as soon as you walk in the room with a guy. Like we we need to he needs to be able to interview people and have those conversations without that taking up the first third of the show because it gets weird and repetitive. If I ever did an interview with Mike Tyson, my first thing that I talked to him about doesn't he breed pigeons, racing pigeons? Yeah, something like that. I have heard. Yeah, that. I. I, I I'd re- or chickens, like he has chickens or something. I'd talk to him about his farming or his uh, love of birds. How about his massive fucking weed farm? <laughs> I'd be raising questions about that. Like he's, uh, I think they actually f- record their podcast in a, because it's, 
it's it's kind of like a weed spa as far as I'm aware. Like that's what he's running. It's just this weird. It's not just like a a farm. It's like a retreat for people who want to enjoy the use of marijuana. And he is just having this weird spa location that he he puts in the middle of it all. So it's about the relaxation therapy as well as smoking an insane amount of weed. And I think they I mean, record some of the podcasts from that location. I mean, recording a podcast with a high Mike Tyson must be an experience. <laughs> Even if he's not high, that's still going to be something you're going to remember for a long time. But imagine if he's blitzed out his skull. That'd be hilarious. Yeah, I actually have been watching, it's about like people who retire and stuff. Uh, I've been watching The Last Dance on Netflix. So, yeah, that's the Michael Jordan documentary. Yeah, it's really good, and uh, it's like made by ESPN in the US. So I, I think that's uh, it's actually made with the NBA as well. And it turns out that right. the the Bulls themselves had like a bunch of people following them and filming them during the nineties, because obviously you're you realize you you're playing them one of the greatest teams of all time. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they just had a lot of film footage and have guys coming in for interviews. Like they have uh, Michael Jordan there. They have Scottie Pippen shows up. All of the like other bills that are around are, are still alive. They're all in the series giving interviews. It's really interesting. Like Dennis Rodman's stuff is really weird. He's such a weird character. But it's I always just assumed he was just weird for the sake of it. And you realise that he had probably one of the worst upbringings of all time. And then he just happens to make it onto the basketball court, makes it onto like national teams, makes it onto like a, a college team. And then progresses into the biggest team in the NBA history. You know, if he's acting a little weird, it's because he's fucking earned it, you know. All I know of uh, Dennis Rodman is that he was in a lot of weird movies with Jean-Claude Van Damme. And that he was the basis for a Tekken character. That is it. That's all I know of Dennis Rodman. (laughs) I always knew him as that guy who's wearing weird clothes and who was dating Madonna at one point. Who's the? Oh, I think he also dated Carmen Electra at one point. Like Madonna let the like let the freak side of him out, and then he just became this weird like walking art piece for a long while. But um, like the interviews they have with him are hilarious because he's he's still yeah I, I enjoyed all that stuff. It was all just part of uh, being me. Like that was it was all honest. It was all art. It was a great way of expressing myself. But then I'd go in the gym and just beat the fuck out of everyone. Like, he was training so hard. Like, he he disappeared for 72 hours into Vegas. I was like, I need to go, I need to go blow off some steam. I'll be there for the weekend. And then I'll come back on Monday morning and I'll start training again. The guy goes away, overstays, like, his initial weekend by another 72 hours. And then comes back on, like, the Thursday, clearly hungover, but still beats the entire team in physical training. He's a machine in a weird way, yeah. but he needed to break a little bit. Yeah, I think I think it kind of boil, it gets folded into the whole prolific athlete thing. You just you get to a certain point when you're in a team like the the early nineties Chicago Bulls, where you just you're doing so much shit to earn the the level of fame and stardom that you've got. That you just need to blow off steam and usually blow off steam in a big bad way. Yeah, and uh, I I think it's a good documentary for everyone to watch. Like, you don't need to know a lot of basketball. They take you through all the moments. Um, there's not a lot. Of, maybe we played in high school, but obviously we're not good. We just happened to play it. So I mean, the amount that we played, you could understand everything that's being talked about. This isn't about basketball. It's about the team, and it's about the uh, the kind of camaraderie and stuff. And it's 
it's interesting. It's really good that they got all these people while they're still alive to talk about it and to be honest about it because it is brutal at some points. Um, Michael, it's weird that Michael Jordan, I think, kind of hates who he was back then. Like the same way uh, Mike Tyson, when he was interviewed by Joe Rogan, said, I don't like, like that guy who I was, the world champion, scared the shit out of me. I think it's kind of the same thing for Michael Jordan as well. I mean, he's he's that amount of money and that amount of fame is is inevitably going to have a toll on something. Yeah, and the fact that like he admits, I was an asshole during training. Like you can see him yelling at people on like just on training, like in regular practice uh, during the season. He just wants the best out of everyone, and he was willing to be the bad guy to get it because his goal was championships. His goal was victory, and he just goes after his own guys. It's unreal, um, but. Actually, the good thing you pointed out was he was so famous during, like, the... I think it was the 92 Olympics. And after that, like, he became the most famous person in the world for sports and was recognisable in every place on the planet. And he said, I can't go anywhere anymore. That same way that, like, Tom Cruise probably can't go anywhere. Like, you're immediately just mobbed by people and reporters who want to shake your hand and just want to see you, just want to meet you, just want to talk about how nice it is to... Finally meet you in person. Why the hell you thought Space Jam would be a good movie? You fucking watch it, (laughs) alright? You're stepping on some big shoes there, alright? It's a fucking great movie. Academy Award deserving, frankly. Snubbed, if I may say so. Um, And, like, there's there's footage of him in a hotel, just hiding. Just because he can't go outside anymore. He's just between games, he says, I come in, I go, like... I come in, I go to my bed, I wake up in the morning, I go train, I go practice, and I immediately have to come straight back to the hotel room because I can't fucking go anywhere. And just the look of sadness on the guy's face at the age of, like, mid-twenties as the king of the world in basketball, just him stuck in a hotel room, like, that guy's a caged lion. He should be out. He should be out having fun with his friends. Like, he has multiple millions of dollars at this point in his career. He should be out blowing that on Ferraris, just for the shits and giggles, and he's stuck in a fucking hotel room, watching uh, like cable news, just for something to do. It's weird. I'm on the list, the ever going list of shit that I need to watch. Uh, the latest thing that got added onto that was uh, the Mandalorian, all eight, eight episodes. Eight episodes. It's only eight episodes. Eight. Yeah, eight episodes at like forty-five minutes each or something. I think it's about an hour each episode. Something like that. Uh, I think I need to watch that. And I've still got a few other things I need to watch on, on Netflix. But, I've, yeah, like I said, I've been going back and re-watching some stuff. Like, I watched the uh, two very, very good series uh, that were on the BBC. And I've since been copied very poorly by um, by American <laughs> broadcasters. I watched uh, a series called Life on Mars and its follow-up series, Ashes to Ashes. Uh, did you ever hear about these when they first came out? I think I remember Life on Mars. I don't remember Ashes to Ashes. I don't think I watched either of them, but I did remember hearing yeah. about Life on Mars. What's the premise of uh, that life, one again? Uh, the premise of it is a detective chief inspector in 2006 in London uh, gets hit by a car, and that accident causes him to go back in time. Cheesy premise, but it leads to probably one of the greatest personal stories you'll ever see on uh, TV. It's uh, John Sim plays a character called Sam Tyler who gets hit by the car and gets sent back in time. And he meets up uh, and he he's back in 1967. Uh, he's back in the 60s. First series is set in the 60s. 
first series is set in the seventies. I've just been corrected. Second series is set in the eighties. Uh, so he wakes up in Manchester in the seventies, and he's he's a uh, been knocked down to the rank of uh, detective inspector, and he's working under a guy called uh, Detective Chief Inspector Gene Hunt, and he needs to work out why he's been sent back in time. What's the whole purpose for him being sent back in time? He needs to try and figure out what he needs to do in this world to wake up back in the real world, and uh, like. It was one of those shows where it was funny. Like uh, the character Gene Hunt is a kind of like an old style sheriff character. Like it's his gaff. You need yeah. to live up to his expectations. You need to do what he says. And it, like some of the humour that comes off the back of that is it's all as you could probably guess, like seventies kind of misogynistic type uh, old style humour. But it's still a pretty good show. And how it ends is fucking great. And then that leads on into Ashes to Ashes, where you follow a psychoanalyst named uh, Alex Drake, who's a detective inspector, who in 90, or I think it's in the early 2010s, she gets shot in the head, that accident causes her to go back to 1980s uh, London, where Gene Hunt and his group have moved from Manchester to London, and she needs to figure out what happened to Sam, and also what happens to her, so that then she can go back, and then, but within that, she finds out this whole other, like, the whole other reason behind why people have been going to this particular other world by Gene Hunt is the connecting factor between both of their shared experiences. It's a very, very good show. I highly recommend it to people. See, I remember being very well hyped when it came out, but at the same time, I didn't actually see anything that interested me about it. But actually knowing now that when you finish it, it's worth watching. That's interesting. I'd say it's worth watching. A lot of people compare it to Doctor Who, which I think is slightly unfair, because... Doctor Who's all, all about time travel, uh, life on Mars, ashes to ashes. They're more about like there's a bit of science fiction in there because like Sam and Alex they'll get messages through their TV saying like because uh, Sam's in a coma on a in a hospital bed so he'll, his TV will say stuff like we're going to try some new medication Sam and there's an episode where they overdose him and in the past like everything's shrieking he's seen like weird hallucinations and shit like that. But he needs to kind of weather the storm until the overdose passes and they can get him on some more uh, some easier medication. And that affects him in the past. And they'll all get these kind of weird messages. Like uh, Alex uh, keeps hallucinating that she's seen a clown that's our, uh, that has the face of her father. And then you find out why that is. And then it just keeps kind of snowballing. And there's more threads that start to pull out. And then when you get to the payoff at the end of the show, you're just thinking, holy shit, that was cool as hell. That's why they keep seeing flashbacks from their past. When you figure out why they're here, why they go to this place, it all kind of ties up together. Yeah, I wouldn't really compare that to Doctor Who. It's a very weird comparison since the Doctor is in control of the situation compared to these characters, which seem to be the victim of some weird time travel mishap or like just a journey back into their own minds or into the London they envision in their heads or whatever. It presents itself as time travel, but what it actually is, I really, really liked I thought that was a cool... Twist on the whole thing. Yeah, does sound interesting. So that's uh, where's that? Where you can get that if you're interested? Uh, Netflix. Uh, both series, Ashes to Ashes and Life on Mars, are on Netflix. Uh, you, there's a, it's a, it's one of those shows that's very quotable. Gene Hunt says a lot of things that you will quote again and again, like uh, in any Pathfinder or D and D game that I play, where I have I'm playing a character with uh, rifles or pistols, I will always say, "Drop your weapons. You're surrounded by armed bastards." <laughs> it's, nice. it's a great show. Highly recommend it. 
Yeah, I've also been rewatching uh, The Mighty Bush because that is my favourite TV show of all time. I don't care what anyone says. It is a weird show, but I like it. And uh, purely because Edgar Wright was doing a rewatch party, I rewatched his TV show Spaced. And that's just another one of those weird Channel 4 shows that just like was brilliantly made back in the day and you can just rewatch again and again every year and it doesn't it doesn't lose its luster, it doesn't lose its sheen. Yeah, a lot of people who worked on that are very proud that they they made that show. And yeah. that's and one the, and the cast themselves have went on to do massive things. Like Simon it was one of the first projects Simon Pegg and Nick Frost worked on. And look where they are now. Yeah. That's a probably I don't know if I'd say they're up there with the most iconic comedy UK duos, but they're in with a shot really. I'd pr- yeah, I'd probably say they're the most famous UK movie duo, without a doubt. Yeah. Like the first people you think of funny UK double acts, you think, or that made it in movies, because you see, you think UK double acts, you probably go the two Ronnies or Markham and Wise, but you think of UK double acts in movies, you probably think Peg and Frost. Yeah, true. They had a really good dynamic and it, it works, and like space is where that all starts. So yeah. it's good to hear it still works out. That's still a great show. Highly recommend it to anybody. And you also get random like cameo appearances from other big name. Uh, British actors like uh, Bill Bailey's in a few episodes. He plays the uh, the owner of a comic book shop called uh, Bilbo. <laughs> pretty good, not? I think I saw Space was on something recently. I'm trying to remember where I, th- I think I saw it. Um, if you follow Edgar Wright, he's been tweeting about it quite a lot because he's been doing the like I said the watch party. No, I mean like it's on somewhere as like a streaming service. I think it might be somewhere like Amazon. Yeah, it's probably on Prime. Yeah, because they put on Spaced and Black Books and. Uh, a couple of other things. I've got the urge to watch uh, Blackadder again. Oh, dude, that 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 doesn't take much for me to watch rewatch Blackadder. So like, I was rewatching. I was watching some clips of a uh, Rick Mail and Adrian Edmondson's TV show Bottom, which I'm a fucking huge fan of those those two. So I watched them doing anything practically. But I watched some clips of that and I just thought I kind of want to watch Blackadder goes forth for the scenes with a uh, flasher. Yeah. It's weird that it took them so long to figure out that that character was a massive draw on the show. Oh, yeah. Whereas we watch it and we're immediately like, this is the weirdest, funniest guy on the entire show. And this is a, a show filled with weird, funny characters. But you have this, like, lightning bolt of raw energy coming. This, like, pure testosterone-driven alpha male beyond alpha male who just comes in and takes over every scene in and is deliberately doing it. Like, it's not like he accidentally just gives great performances. He walks into everything with the intention of saying... This is my scene. Everyone is now under my control. Suck it. Yeah. That's what I always loved about Rick Mail. He was over the top. Like, he just chewed the scenery and everything that he was in. Like, uh, I was talking to someone recently about uh, Lord Flashheart, like, saying he was probably one of the greatest parts of Black Eye, and I said, you really need to go back and watch uh, The Young Ones, where he played a car- when uh, Rick Mail played a character called Rick, who was a an anarchist poet. And every time... He's on the screen, he's just doing something to try to make sure that the screen's on him, like, or the camera's on him. He's just, like, shouting a bit, going, like, hands up, who likes me? Everybody will look at me, and all this shit. <laughs> what was he in? Is he not in uh, Brass Eye? Or am I thinking of someone else? Uh, you're thinking of something Morris. He, The guy that played Denim. No, uh, the guy that played Denim in the IT card, he was in Brass Eye. Something Morris. Chris Morris? Yep, yeah, I think it's Chris someone. Morris. Yep. Yeah, he was in Brass Eye. I don't think Rick Mayo was in Brass Eye. Rick Mayo was in a lot of shows. There was a time... Was there a... 
in uh, like the early 2000s where Channel 4 was just developing the weirdest shit. Like, great shows, but at the same time, like, they were just swinging for the fences with everything they made. Yeah, but Channel 4 and, by extension, Comedy Central, they just made some of the weirdest shit you could put out there. Like, uh, Channel 4 just started making TV shows like uh, Big Train with Simon Pegg and Kevin Nealon, and that was just weird little surreal sketch shows. Then you go over to Comedy Central, and I think they took a lot of actors from Channel 4, the guys like uh, Noel Fielding and Julian Barrett, started making shows like uh, Unnatural Acts, which was just more weird, random, surreal comedy. Then I talk about Channel 4 and their random TV shows. Uh, there was a TV show that I fucking love to death, but if I could explain it to someone, it would do it a disservice, because you just need to watch this by yourself. It's a TV show called uh, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. Oh, okay. <laughs> Please try and, and explain it's... it, I dare you. Ah, fuck. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you who's in it first. Uh, Matt Berry is in it. Uh, Richard Iowadi, uh, the girl from Hot Fuzz. No, is it Hot Fuzz? She was in Hot Fuzz. But uh, the one that was the supermarket tannoy announcer in Hot Fuzz, she plays a main character in it. And uh, like No Fielding appears in one episode as a gorilla that's turning people into other gorillas through his urine. And <laughs> it, it's just, it, like, I can't describe this show because it. You just need to watch it. Like no one will find it as funny as I do, but it's just a weird, weird show, and I love it to death. Episode guide: six episodes. Yeah, they they couldn't do more than six episodes. It got fucking weird. <laughs> it got weird. It was so weird in six episodes that they were like done. <laughs> we're, yeah, we're, we're out. Bye. It's got Graham. Yeah, and that was just the kind of weird shit Channel Four did back in the day. He's like, fuck it, let's give this thing six episodes and see what happens. Yeah, it's got Graham Linehan and Stephen Merchant. That's the two other names that really stick out. There is other people there, but I don't really recognise whoever Matt Green is. Yeah, there's a few names that you won't recognise, but you'll rec- probably recognise their faces, maybe. But, uh, yeah. And that was the interesting about the TV at that time as well, is a lot more cameos. Like, a yeah. lot more just kind of cross-pollination and weird walk-ons. That you're like, wait, why is this person here? It's like when you see Charles dance in, what was that film, that horrible, just Dracula Untold? Yeah, he's in uh, Dracula Untold as the guy that infects Yeah, like Dracula. the primordial vampire or some yes. shit like that. Uh-huh. You're sitting thinking, what mortgage payment were you clearing with this movie? Like, why are you here? I don't know, I think, like, if, if you look at him on, like, he's in some of the, the Underworld series as well. Um, and really? He, yeah, he appears in some of the later stuff, and it is... Again, it's one of the things of, you had a payment due, didn't you? You, you needed yeah. the work. So I remember the Underworld series. The first one was good. Uh, the second one was just strange. They're all uh, great in their own special way. In their own little Lego way. But yeah, I remember going to see one of the last Underworld movies in the cinema, the one that was the, uh, the prequel. Uh, it didn't have... What's it called again? It's like a siege. They tried to do Helms Deep with werewolves, and you're like, wait, this wouldn't yeah. work because they're fucking werewolves. Um, oh, I think the it's one that had not quite Kate Beckinsale. Kate Beckinsale. Yeah, I think it might actually be War of the Lichens. Rise of the Lichens. Maybe I don't know. Something of the Lichens. The taxing of the Lichens. <laughs> the the tax evasion of the Lichens. Social distancing of the Lichens. 
the, I, I know which one you're talking about, but yeah, the, he appears yeah. in some of those films. You're like, what are you doing? What are you, what are you here yeah, for? Why are you here? You're great. It's like when you see Patrick Stewart in the Emoji movie. You're like, why the fuck are you here? You're a respected actor. And the knight, I might say. But it's funny, guys, because now he's the poop emoji. <laughs> Um, I think I made it through 15 minutes of that movie watching it with my niece and I was like I'm going to go and do something else I'm I'm (laughs) going to go write a novel like why am I wasting my life watching Patrick Stewart's voice come out of a poop emoji Honey, Uncle Dom loves you but he's going to slap you if this keeps staying on the television we need to watch something else please who is the there's another one uh, that Charles Dance does he is very good at appearing in like end of year shows and I'm pretty sure he does a big fat quiz of the year. And it's yeah, he does the... He reads the the, the hokey celebrity <laughs> autobiography. He reads the worst autobiography of the year and people have to guess what it is. And some yeah. of the things that that man will say with a straight face is unreal. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Like You can tell that guy is just such a well-trained actor that he's just going to say, I'm going to say this ridiculous weird autobiography but someone getting fake toes or making their toes look bigger and I'm going to say it with a straight face I was watching a YouTube documentary about Leslie Nielsen and like oh the naked gun guy yeah his um, like a little bit basically his start in acting his um, uh, like his training as like a proper really like talented serious actor and he was always going to be he was always going to be the leading man but unfortunately, yeah. Hollywood have like a thousand leading men already, and just his yeah. shift into comedy, like the the way he handles it so well, and just became a massive influence on like again like delivering the most radical nonsense with the straightest face possible. I remember reading something or seeing something similar that he he was uh, Leslie Nielsen was a trained actor. He always wanted to go for leading man roles, and um, during auditions, he would say the lines that he was told to say, but the people that were auditioning him would always crack up. Like, he would say regular things, but his delivery would just have people rolling on the ground laughing. And he, from then, he just thought, you know what? I'm going to steer into this. I'm going to do comedy. And then you get Police Squad yeah. and Naked Gun and things like that. Although, apparently, I'm not allowed to, you're not allowed to watch Naked Gun anymore because it's got O.G. Simpson in it. Yeah, they, uh, they really went for that because I'm pretty sure one of them is filmed after he gets acquitted. I'm really sure they did the first couple like, oh, we're getting O.J. Simpson, the football megastar, in to do this role. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh shit, here comes O.J. Simpson, that guy from that court case. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he's more famous than he was before, but not for good reasons. Yeah. I mean, there's a scene in Naked Gun 2, I think, where he he takes out the pistol, then he attaches a stock and stuff on it, then he builds it out and it's a fucking howitzer. Yeah. I... (laughs) I assume if you put that scene in after he was acquitted, it takes on a sinister whole new meaning. Yeah. Like he's just setting up a cannon to fire at someone. He Leslie Nielsen was in something way at the start of his career, and it was like a precursor to a large number of sci-fi shows. I'm trying to remember what it was called. It was as I look at his IMDb it page, it is huge. Twilight Zone. Hmm? Sounds like Twilight Zone sounds like something he would have been a part of. Yeah, I think he's done a bit of that. He also worked with uh, Alfred Hitchcock a little bit, just before he got out of it. Hmm. Um, yeah, just before he got out of like the, the serious acting. Um, for comedy films like Scary Movie 2. Yeah. Like, that was, Who knew that? That's where his career would end up. That's where like I, I found him. That's where I'm like, I, I never actually sat and watched the classics 
until like years later. But at the same time, like you got to see him as the president in the scary movie films, and he was really, really fucking good because he was yeah. again, he was just doing his thing. And I think uh, in the first thing I seen Leslie Nielsen in was Airplane because, uh, like my parents always showed me these kind of films because they knew right, swearing's not that bad. Like, it's just language. It's just words. You know when to speak the right words. But they'd show me films like Airplane and seeing him deliver the words. I am being serious, and don't call me Shirley, with a complete deadpan face. Was, that is the lesson in comedy. That's the only lesson in comedy you need to learn. Yeah. Just deliver shit with a straight face and you'll be funny, so. The man I, has I got to so see all that many, crap when I was young, so. The man has so many credits, it's actually kind of hard to find the one I'm talking about. But he was in something oh. that basically um, redefined like science fiction, like it's classic 50s science fiction, and I, I think it might be in Starlight Theatre on there. Yeah, that's it. But I'm pretty sure he was in... Oh, Tales of Tomorrow, that's what it might have been. Yeah, he is, uh, he's made a bunch of appearances on stuff. And, like, it was him and Gene Wilder. This this guy just made the same kind of documentary, just going through their career, talking about their influences and, like, what he wanted to do. Um, Like, Gene Wilder's thing with, uh, like, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, he improvised, or he wanted to... He made that weird thing where... Uh, Willy Wonka walks out the factory looking all dishevelled and are looking all like crippled and stuff, like walking on a cane, and then like jams it into the ground and like then just kind of like does a front flip. And it does like the forward roll then. Yeah. Pop. And like the director asked him, like, why would you want to do this? This is so unnecessary. And he goes, Because now you can't trust what Willy Wonka is gonna tell you. You don't know what's real and what's fake, and that was gonna be part of his shtick for the entire movie was you would never be able to trust it and you watch that movie again you're like fuck that's good that's really really good well done <laughs> you know just taking that and running with it for an entire movie yeah like god oh, i fucking love gene wilder i could talk about like my one of my favorite performances in any movie is gene wilder as uh frankenstein from young frankenstein yeah i genuinely think you cannot get a better mad scientist character than Frankenstein. Yeah. Like, it's just it's fucking perfect. Like some of the lines he delivers with just a like complete deadpan. Like or in his interactions with Marty Feldman when it's like when he he gives him the wrong brain, he says, What name was on that brain? Oh Abbey Normal. Abbey Normal. <laughs> Not Hans Elbrook, the genius that I told you to get. Fucking brilliant. The Leslie Nielsen thing, by the way, that uh like the classic sci fi that he was in, Forbidden Planet. He was in Forbidden Planet? Yes, nineteen fifty six Forbidden Planet. Like Jesus! Wow! And I, again, like you want to talk about like fifties sci-fi, the costume design, the set design, everything in that, it looks unreal. It looks kind of like uh, remember like when you used to get to a Bond movie and you get to the part where they'd break into the base or they'd be in like this weird site. Like I think it's Moonraker, where they have like a they have like a a launch for a rocket, but they're like a launch pad for a rocket built into a volcano yeah. or something like that. And, like, just the weird set design where it's clearly, like, nothing has actually been thought of. We just have weird cardboard boxes, spray-painted metal, and we just have a bunch of weird flashing lights on them. It's that type of set what? design. What's Moonraker, the James Bond movie, where they have a laser fight in space? Ah, uh, shit. I do not know my Bond as well as I think I do. I remember there was a James Bond movie where they literally tried to keep up with Star Wars because at the time Star Wars was huge. Uh, a new hope had just dropped, so in an effort to try and capitalise on that, 
Bond goes to space with a weird little jetpack cardboard box helmet thing and just has a laser fight with space Nazis or space Germans. Yeah, it is Moonraker. Yep. Probably space Russians, if I remember. <laughs> I think it might actually be fucking space Russians. I really do. <laughs> I- God damn it. They beat Call of Duty to space Russians by about 30 years. What was the other one? Was there not one with... Uh, there was one with a scuba fight. It was basically the same thing. With, like, people... Like, all you had to do to kill someone was, like, they're miles under the water. So all you had to do was just, like, pierce their, their swimsuit and their, like, their body would just break. I cannot remember. I'm pretty sure there's, a, like, a harpoon fight or something like that at the bottom of the ocean. Oh, my God. I'm Googling that one as well. James Bond was one of those films. Or one of... Like those film series where there always has to be some kind of fight in water. So, but the minute you said harpoon fight, I immediately went to that has to be some kind of Roger Moore movie or Roger Moore James Bond movie where they had a harpoon fight. Yep, that's in uh, Thunderball where they have an underwater was Roger battle. Uh, I can't remember which one that is. Uh, like I said, I'm not, a, I'm not a huge fan of the James Bond movies. Like, I, I didn't really get into them much. Ooh, it's Sean Connery. Oh, oh boy, it's that, it's that good shit. It's that real premium yeah. cheese. Back when Bond just said that, all women deserve a little bit of a slap. <laughs> Some of the stuff, like, yes, at certain points I will complain about the way society is progressing, but then I look back at shit like that and I'm like, nah, maybe they've got a point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe change isn't a bad thing. Yeah. Oh. Change is a good thing. Although we fear change. We what? We fear change. We fear change. Change is... It's, it's just scary. You're going to take something I know, something I'm comfortable with, and then all of a sudden just ramp it off to like some new weird idea. Yeah. Which is, it's just kind of what they're doing with... Uh, I don't know if we spoke about this before, but uh, what they're doing with X-Men. With one character, or the two new characters, Safe Space and Snowflake. Which oh, I thought was... Oh, yeah. We, I don't that think... Genuine. I don't think we talked about this on the podcast. I do know I text you to say you need to look at this. Uh, I can't remember what it was called, like the new, the new X Men or the new. Um, I can't remember what the name of the team is because it's a special team from like Marvel's history where they had the edgy characters in the nineties. Um, like this is the yeah. guys that brought about. I think new warriors. The new warriors, yes, and yeah. the new new warriors are an interesting choice. Yeah, and. Uh... I kind of I kind of want to call out the the writer of that new series. Like, I get that when you're writing comic books, particularly nowadays, you need to do something to make them stand out, and that's what this writer Vita Ayela is trying to do, and I commend her for that. But at the same time, if you're actively turning people away and you're proud of this fact, you're abusing your power. Because she posted a few tweets just going, "I'm so powerful, I'm turning hardcore fans away." Like, don't be proud of that fact. Like, Try and change things up to include everybody. Don't just include this little niche market that are probably not even interested in comic books. That would be my question: is how many people who would be who were attracted to the idea of a new new warriors with uh, like more currently politically acceptable characters? How many of those people are actually going to put up the cash for like a recurring subscription, or are going to just go out and buy the bulk like the collector's edition once it's all wrapped and done? Like, how many people will actually put their cash on the table for the product? Yeah, not many. I think they'll just realise that, oh, cool, I'm being represented in an X-Men comic or a, a Marvel comic and go do whatever the hell they're going to do. But 
to actively be proud of turning subscribers away. Nah, I ain't down with that. Plus, and just so we can level you some criticism, two characters at this. called Safe Space and Snowflake. What the hell are you doing? <laughs> just bit, so like, I, I don't can... care. Like, more representation in comic books. That is a good thing. Keep doing that. But give them cool powers, goddammit. Just so I can level some criticism at this show that, or level it at the, the comic that isn't just why they made my stuff PC, can they explain why someone's superpower was that they were hit with internet gas and they now just have access to the internet through their brain, I guess? Can someone write that down in a way that isn't completely brain damaged? Yeah. They have all the powers of an internet-enabled smartphone. I feel bad for the. There's a girl who is just called Backpack, <laughs> and she just she's just a kid with a special backpack. And like, if your name's Backpack, you're the scrappy do of the of the group. No one wants you there. You're I, you're the kid that smells a bit funny that whose mum tells you to hang about with them because he doesn't have many friends. I want Backpack to be the one that puts down whatever the new version of Thanos is, just to hear how they write that. I, <laughs> Marvel have already done that, because do you know who the character Squirrel Girl is? Uh, yeah, I've heard that she is the, like, arguably one of the most powerful characters in the entire universe from Marvel. Yeah, she's doing Galactus when no one else could. But I don't know anything about it. I just know that she's, like, so powerful, sorry, you just need to know that she's powerful. She what, sorry? Yeah. Uh, sorry, I have a fact checker here. Uh, she didn't take down Galactus, but I think she might have fought Galactus to Sansa or some shit like that. But she did beat Doctor Doom, and Doctor Doom is arguably one of the most powerful things in the Marvel Universe. Which is weird, because uh, like when you look at how he's done in the films, he's just a weird guy with a mask. But that actually describes about two-thirds of Marvel's universe. Yeah. I found a, um, a YouTube video the other day, and it was put into the anime Discord that I'm on. But somebody mm-hmm. posted this, um, like, a summary of all the fights in Infinity War, like, or just Marvel action scenes, and it is a 90 second edit of just various uh, characters and fight scenes, it's so well edited though, the, the flow of just momentum between different fight scenes, I forgot how, like, the Marvel films didn't look like they were pulling punches, like, it doesn't look like stage punches in a way, like, we've got, speaking of James Bond, they're probably one of the worst of it, where, like, you'll just see James swing a rifle butt at someone and that person will just fall back. And go, yeah. like they've been knocked out on the ground. Those Marvel scenes like, are totally different. Yeah, except the one thing I will point out is in the first Avengers movie, uh, Black Widow when she's strapped to the chair being interrogated by the Russian dudes, she flicks her hair back, her head back as if to headbutt someone, and completely whiffs it and just throws her hair on the guy. <laughs> are you just trying to blind them with your ginger hair, or what the hell was what the hell was happening here? Like Scarlett Johansson throws her hair all over me. I'm probably gonna pass out from smelling it. I'm not gonna lie. I'll. I'm not that creepy, but it's still Scarlett Johansson. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I see where you're going with that one, but yeah, I, I agree with you. But, yeah, uh, we we bust that nut. Let's be honest. Let's be fair. One of the things I actually really like uh, looking for on YouTube is deliberate movie blunders, and you see them quite a lot, particularly in James Bond, because there's a scene in James Bond where someone. Is standing behind, I think it's one of the Daniel Craig James Bond movies, where uh, someone's standing behind him just sweeping, but the brush doesn't actually touch the floor. But like, he's just really? sweeping about a good meter off the floor, and you can see him as he's just sweeping up bits behind James Bond. Well, there's a bit in uh, the Dark Knight 
rises where Batman and Catwoman are fighting on a roof. Uh-huh. And uh, some guy's clearly got his mark right, but then uh, who, Anne Hathaway, who's playing uh, Catwoman, is still fighting someone else. But this guy just starts beating himself up, so he starts like moving about the place like he's being hit, then he just falls to the ground. <laughs> There is, um, there's a lot of those, like, especially in big fight scenes, big crowd scenes. Um, I'm mm. trying to remember who the one of the worst ones is. I know that there's the, if you look at the background of some of Game of Thrones fights, there's some horror shows in there. Yeah. Um, the one of the worst ones being when they go to Dorne, and it's Jamie mm. and Bronn fighting against the, the sisters. And then, like, I think the camera's on Jamie as he's fighting one of them. And Bronn is in the background, supposedly fighting two of the other ones, and he's just kind of waving his sword vaguely at them, and it's hilarious. You can just see, you're like, oh my god, what are you people doing? I thought I remember reading that in a, I think it was in the Battle of the Bastards. Apparently, you can see a guy just wearing a jeans and a flannel shirt, like he's just <laughs> wading in there fighting with the rest of them. That scene must assume- is so tight and so good. I will, I'll let it slide. I'll be entirely honest. Yeah, the Battle of the Bastards is pretty good. It might not be the Battle of the Bastards, but there's some big fight scene where apparently you can just see a guy wearing jeans in a shirt. Like, everyone else has got the full armour on. Maybe he just thought, fuck it, maybe I'll be green screened out or they'll cover me in armour or something. Or he might have just thought, wouldn't it be funny if I'm somehow in this fantasy series in jeans and t-shirt, I wonder if I can sneak into the edit. Because <laughs> those are, like, edited so... Like, the number of eyes that must have seen... Well, he must have just glazed over him. Like, they must have just missed him somehow for him to make it through the final cut of a TV show. Maybe that was the editor. He was like, fuck it, I'm going to be in this. He just snuck on it and said, well, I'm, just, I'm here to, like, capture the tone of the uh, of the day today and just, like, kind of walked into the background and just jumped into the scene like, ooh. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Yeah. Or maybe he superimposed himself in. Just, like, during the edit and oh it's like, oh, God. you're going to see... You can see me today. Imagine sitting there editing Game of Thrones and then, like, f- knowing that you have a file of yourself pretending to hit people with swords ready to be just, like, chroma keyed into the background of Big. <laughs> You're going to see Jim. Jim, the editor, he's going to put himself into the scene. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> I'm going to go find that now. Do we have enough, uh, like, closure on Game of Thrones as a series to go back and just enjoy a rewatch. I stopped watching and enjoying it properly after season five. I'm not gonna lie, when they brought when they killed off Jon Snow and brought him back, I was like mm, nah, I see I'm where this not. is going. Yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be the John show. I uh, I, like, nah, I watched it all the way to the end. It. I got I'm not gonna lie, it was uh it was interesting. It was I understand that almost everyone's freak out. Like it was it's bad, let's be honest. But, yeah, yeah I, I, I... I planned on watching the last season. Was it season 8? Yeah, season 8. I planned on watching season 8, but within... the sp- After saving myself, because I, I had a friend who was giving me the episodes, he was downloading them in four, in a, like 1080p, and he was going to shoot them across to me so I could watch in full HD on my television. But I was going to wait till all, however many eight episodes were out, and I was just going to watch them all in one. I might only have been six episodes, can't really remember. Uh, was it six or eight episodes? Uh, shit, I think... I can't remember, actually. It's totally blanking on me. So, however many episodes it was, I was just going to watch them all in one. And then within the space of 15 minutes, someone spoiled the entire series for me. 
They just went, oh, dude, you and uh, Arya kills the Night King. That's going to be so cool. I was like, what? What did you Arya? say? Arya? What the fuck? Then they're like, oh, dude, it, what's even worse is at the end, Jon Snow just kills Denar or something. Dude, I've been not watching it for a month, waiting for this all to end so I can just watch it at my leisure, and you just ruined it all within 10 minutes. I gotta what say, the fuck? you. Uh, did we not, I think we discussed this at one point. I'm pretty sure you explained that someone ruined the two biggest plot points of Game of Thrones and you... Was that not, like, a college thing? It was at uni. It was at, literally... We'd finished an exam and uh, someone asked me, oh, what are your plans? I said, first things first, I'm going to go home and I'm going to watch Game of Thrones. I'm like, oh, dude, look out for this. I'm like, what do you mean Arya kills the Night King? I said, <laughs> what oh, are you... <laughs> dude, I guess shock. Watch out for a... The Mountain versus the the Hound. I'm like, oh, they fight as well? So, oh, it's cool, they both die. Come on, fuck. Then they talk <laughs> this whole shit brownie off with, oh, and uh, at the end it's kind of disappointing. John just kills uh, Daenerys. Then he goes back to the black, was it the Black Guard? The the Night's Watch, and oh. there are six episodes of Game of Thrones season eight. Yeah, so, plan was to watch all six episodes. Then someone ruined three big plot points for me. And I was like, fuck off. I have no. I am looking into so, uh, like the ratings as well, like just see what it's like. Uh, Winterfell, the first episode, 7.6. Night of Seven Kingdoms, 7.8. That's a pretty good one. The Long Night, which is the Siege of Winterfell, 7.5. I love that episode. I know a lot of people hated it, but uh, I really enjoyed it. And then after that, Last of the Starks, 5. It was very dark. You couldn't really see what was going on. Yeah, it needed a bit of colour correction, but I actually really enjoyed it. Um, uh, Just something about it reminded me of... uh, What's it called? You ever seen Black Hawk Down? Years, I, I think, I think that film early two thousands. Yeah, um, I think yeah, of it as being like the medieval version of that. Yeah. Uh, then it's Blast the Starks at five point five, the Bells at six point oh, which is disappointing because I actually really enjoyed the Battle of King's Landing. It's total bullshit, but at the same time, the actual fight was hilariously like violent. Uh, and then the Iron Throne, the final episode, four point one. With the most ratings yeah. out of just about everything on the entire show. Oh, that was another plot point that got uh, spoiled for me. Who takes the Iron Throne? <laughs> okay. Brand the wheelie, wheelie legs, no feely. <laughs> Brand the legless. That makes me laugh so hard, that fucking meme. Just the, the, like, For some reason, Terry just decides to just lay into the kid who he wants to name King. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to just pick on this disabled kid for like five minutes. It's the funniest fucking thing. I can remember that does sound like what he would do, but he became less less of an abrasive character and more of a very empathic character. Empathetic. He was learning a little bit. He was getting there, but also they just took his wit away. Like, he would spend, in season one, he'd roast characters, and it'd be the most savage thing you've seen in ages. And right. then all of a sudden, in like season seven or eight, his writing just became uh, like, haha, Varys has no dick. There's several scenes where like his insult to Varys is, yeah, you have no dick. Like, yeah, that's the point of his character. We, we all know. Where's the zinger? Where's yeah, the punchline? Yeah, Game of Thrones isn't a series I'm in a rush to get back to. There's certain series that I want to go back and watch again, like Sons of Anarchy. I want to go back and watch that, even though I know it's going to be fucking tough to get through because there's some, there's some belters in there, I'll tell you that. Uh, I kind of want to go back and watch uh, Daredevil, the Netflix shows, if they're still up. 
uh, I think they got taken down, so if they pop up on Disney Plus, I'll give them a watch. Uh, I want to go back and watch the old Disney cartoon Gargoyles. But yeah, Game okay. of Thrones is just not one that I'm going to go back to anytime soon. The My spin-offs, if they get made, the movies, if they get made, I'll probably give them a miss. Actually, when you type in Game of Thrones in uh, Google, one of the top questions is, will there be a season 9 of Game of Thrones? <laughs> uh, no. Um, maybe, no. Don't think so. Maybe maybe a prequel. I know there's uh, talk of a prequel, um, but I don't think that will actually happen. I just, I don't, I see it fizzling out before we get there. Yeah, I think the, uh, well, I think the, uh, the hype for Game of Thrones kind of died, and maybe any hope of a spin-off just fizzled away. And plus, the guys that wrote Game of Thrones, they're now doing Star Wars things. Yeah. <laughs> they are some of the most hated people on the internet. And yeah. the reaction from fan bases once they heard that they, they were shifting over to Star Wars, they on a, the, the lid flipping went to a whole new level. Like, this was well, after episode 8. That, that makes people think of Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, and uh, I, I don't think they're, uh, they're going to do well with Star Wars, but at this point, I don't know who can. Yeah, without going back to the original filmmakers and the original writers, I don't think he can do much with Star Wars anymore. I think he just leave it to uh, Dave Filoni, because he made Star Wars Rebels, which is a really good cartoon. Like, really, really well shot, really, really good storylines within there. Uh, and he made Clone Wars, which I haven't watched myself, but I've heard it's really good. Uh, and he's produced The Mandalorian, which him and John Favreau are just doing really, really fucking well with. And maybe George Lucas could maybe do something with it, but apart from that, I don't think there's anyone who could make a proper cohesive storyline with Star Wars right now. It's weird which is why I think keep having faith in George Lucas, despite the fact he made the, the original, like the sorry, the prequel trilogy. Yeah. A lot of people are looking back at the prequels and saying, "Oh, maybe, like that's the Thanos meme. Like maybe I tr- uh, treated you too harshly." I'm like, no, you treated it fairly. <laughs> prequels are bad. It is as bad as you think. <laughs> it's not as good as you remember, and you don't remember it good. Are you forgetting Jar Jar? You're you're really yeah. gonna forget Jar Jar like that? Yeah, like you're gonna forget the battle. Of, what the hell was it? It's not Geonosis. Battle of Desert Planet. Then the. The lackluster Yoda and Count Dooku fight, you're really going to look at that and think, huh, maybe the prequels were good. Oh my god, it's, it's really hard to think of. We talk about like, great actors who've passed. Dude, Christopher Lee. Yeah. He's the, only, he's the only person on this planet that can make me experience joy and fear by singing Christmas carols at me. <laughs> Where did he do that? Oh, was that fucking the... great. It's, oh, what's it will kill you to your very bones. Is that the name of the album, Charlemagne, or is that the band? I think the band's called Charlemagne, but there's a Christmas death metal record that Christopher Lee put out. It might be, it might not be with the band Charlemagne, but it is out there. And his rendition of Silent Night is the definition of beautifully haunting, because he's got a good voice, but at the same time, it, you think that vampires or some shit are just going to come crashing through your door and eat you. <laughs> It belies something sinister. And speaking of something that belies something sinister, I guess, for segue aside, uh, I can't wait to talk about uh, uh, new Mortal Kombat characters. I suppose DLC characters in general, because Dragon Ball Fighters got a new DLC character that I can want to talk about. And the kind of base impressions I've got on that, because we don't get the new character for another nine days. 
just over a week. So uh, the, the main DLC character that I wanted to talk about was uh, Robocop in Mortal Kombat 11. Right, okay. Which, uh, if you've played Mortal Kombat 11, it's a slow game with very slow characters. So and Robocop fits the Ro- right in. Robocop fits right in, but that doesn't make it a fun game because Terminator plays very bad. He's very slow. He can get destroyed very quickly by some of the other quicker Mortal Kombat characters that aren't guest characters. Uh, and it's just not fun. And I think Robocop is going to be more of that. And it's uh, it's going to be a rough one. But the fact that he's in the game is cool. And he's voiced by uh, Peter Weller is really cool. Oh, but... right, so they're doing the original character, not the, the remake. The weird glossy one. They're not going to do the shiny plastic one. They're doing the actual Robocop that shoots people in the dick. That might be his fatality. He just shoots them in the balls. Oh, please let it be a fatality. I'd watch that on loop, non-stop. Uh, the cool thing about his fatality is he brings in the, the Ed 209, the big kind of weird bipedal robot. Oh, the right, walker. yeah, the uh, the really big one. Yeah. So, wait, how many... Like, this is another character like from the non-Mortal Kombat or universe that's in this game now. Who are the like the non-Mortal Kombat characters in there right now? I think you've got Joker, you've got Spawn, and Terminator, and Robocop as well. Uh, I want to say, no, Hellboy was in Justice 2. So, aye, aye, you've got Robocop, Spawn, Terminator, and the Joker. And from what I've heard, they all play like shit, except the Joker, who's quite fun. Because he plays like a, a slightly faster Mortal Kombat character. Yeah, you can't really make the, the Joker into a tank. The same way that most Mortal Kombat characters seem to be. Yeah. And they've I always mean, had like a weird association with like, the horror franchise. Because I remember like at one point uh, Jason Voorhees was in the mix for a Mortal Kombat game. Yeah, that was in Mortal Kombat 10. And that was probably the best playing Mortal Kombat game of the past few years. Because that had a... You could play as a Xenomorph from Alien. And you could play as the Predator. Uh, you could play as Leatherface, and you could play as Jason Voorhees. And apparently they were pretty good. I never played much of Mortal Kombat X, because I've always been a Street Fighter kid. But I've been told that they're pretty good. Like, I'm not going to go out and buy a Mortal Kombat X just to play it, purely because Mortal Kombat 11 left such a bad taste in my brain. Yeah, you've been uh, you've been on like the, the warpath about this game from the start. Yeah, just because I, I paid 80 quid for it. <laughs> thinking, I'm going to get into Mortal Kombat, this is going to be my entrance into the series, and it's not good. Like, I think I uninstalled it that day. <laughs> and it's a disappointment, once it goes in the tray. Great. I, I put it into my Xbox, my PlayStation, uh, installed it, I think I waited a while to install it, played the story mode for about half an hour and just thought, it's awful. It's fucking awful. If I hadn't used the season pass immediately like an idiot, I would have sold it that day. Oh yeah, you. That was. I was trying to remember why it cost you eight quid because I remember you bought something else with season pass, yeah. wasn't it? I bought the. I think it's called the premium edition. Yeah, the premium edition, and that came with the season pass and a couple of other DLC costumes that I haven't used. So, if you're in the Central Belt, Scotland area, and you want a copy of Mortal Kombat 11, <laughs> hit Jimmy Fish up on Twitter, and I'll fucking send you it. Free, free games, everybody. Free games. It's what yeah, we're here about. If you want it, Lance, our friend in Canada, if you want it, you can have it, dog. We'll throw it really hard. I'll just, I'll frisbee it and it might get to Canada. 
I actually had a DM from uh, Lance recently on Twitter, and he wanted to recommend some music because we were also talking about the uh, the various bands that we were like we need more music, and he oh, wanted yeah. to recommend a lot of stuff from Clutch. Oh, dude, I'm a huge fan of Clutch. I uh, I've seen them live in uh, download in 2009. Fucking outstanding band. Uh, he made four recommendations. He wanted to recommend uh, Electric Worry, X-ray Visions, Fortunate Son. And Ghoul Wrangler? That actually might not be... That's not Clutch. No, it is Clutch. There is. Yeah. I know they did a, a remake of Fortunate Son, which is a really good song. Yeah, just before I forget. Worry is a really good record as well. So yeah, thanks Lance for the uh, the recommendations. If anyone else has any music recommendations, uh, feel free to hit us up on Twitter as well. Or if you just want Dom's free game, just... Yeah, at, at I'll send you. I will fucking send you it. <laughs> Did you want Mortal Kombat 11? You can have it. I tried to pawn it off from my neighbour last week. <laughs> hey, you, uh, you left this in the mail. Why is there a video game? Shut up and take the mail. <laughs> hey, I was taking my, my dog out for a... I need to be careful about saying W word, but I took him out for a W-A-L-K uh, uh, last week. And I was sitting talking to him, just saying, so how are you getting on? He was like, ah, not too bad, usual shit. Uh, I'm kind of running out of games to play, and I went, you're a Mortal Kombat fan, aren't you? Do you got a PlayStation? Ah, <laughs> uh, man, no got a PlayStation. Shit. <laughs> Do you know anybody that would like a copy of Mortal Kombat 11? They went, nah, man, they've all got it. Shit. Do you want it? I'll give you it. You can have it. <laughs> Please just take it away from me. I don't want to be here anymore. Yeah, it's just, it's collecting dust. Like, without, like, I'm not exaggerating when I say that I played it for half an hour and I uninstalled it. There's only one other game that I've done that quicker, and that or quicker to it, and that was uh, Resident Evil Resistance, the game that came with Resident Evil Three. I played that for ten minutes, and I thought this game is awful. I I waited in the lobby for what felt like an hour, then ten minutes into the game, I just thought, no, this is not worth it. Resistance is Un- the oh. uh, the tacked on multiplayer, isn't it? Yep, uninstalled it from my Xbox after. An hour and a half. See, I went, ten minutes of gameplay, an hour of an hour and a bit of waiting and installing. I uh, I looked into like someone else's podcast that was talking about that game, and they said it was basically like weird, uh, unbalanced PvP. Like it was one player masterminding the horde, and then uh, four players trying to survive it, and then the, it would work eventually, but it was so unbalanced it was almost impossible for survivors to win. Yeah, if you're the survivor, you cannot win because the mastermind just has uh, tyrants and shit that it can send out, and it can send out overpowered zombies. And you are sitting there with a two by four with a bit of uh, ether soaked rag on the end of it that you've lit on fire, and you're expected to beat a six tyrant with a piece of wood that deals a hundred damage out. Yeah, it didn't sound like a good game, and if you have that type of like tacked on product you can make it work but it takes uh takes balancing and i don't think that you know it's still konami he does those right capcom. oh capcom i don't think capcom can really nail balance on like a non uh fighting game type of uh, mechanic like yeah. that that's because it's a new subsidiary of capcom called m2 a uh, studios they made a uh, project project resistance and i think they're tweaking it but from what I've heard, due to the backlash, well, not quite the backlash, more the, the overwhelming disappointment in Resident Evil 3. Because Resident Evil 3 is a good game, but a lot of people were expecting more along the lines of the other Resident Evil 2 remake, which was just 
fucking outstanding. Resident Evil 2, 3 was good, but not quite up on that standard. Due to that uh, that feedback, I've heard that Capcom are doing a director's cut of Resident Evil 3 with more in the game, more fleshed out areas. Maybe uh, having Carlos and Jill have separate paths in the game, like a whole top to bottom rework of the game. But wow. I don't know when that would come out. Yeah. If it even comes out, like I said, it's just a rumour at this point. I would... I mean, they've got all the assets. That's one thing that they have in their favour. Um, but scripting events like that, it's, that's like a year away at least. Yeah, it'll probably come out in next-gen hardware, if at all. I'd love it to come out, because, like I said, 3 was good, but there were certain areas from the original that I wanted to see. Like, I wanted to see the graveyard when you fought the uh, the giant gravedigger worm thing, because that's just... It's such a, a weird, misplaced boss fight from the original game that it's just it's synonymous with the original. Uh, I wanted to see more of Nemesis before he mutates because it seems like you you get put into the game, you fight Nemesis, and about an hour later he mutates. Whereas in the first game, it's a slow burn. Like you meet him a couple of times, you interact with him a couple of times, you fight him, and then you see him like he's closer. The limiter jacket that he's got is a bit ripped, and you see him. You next time you meet him, he's got like a giant mutated hand or something, but he's still the imposing nemesis form. He's not this weird wolf form or a quadruped form that they put him in in the remake. So I would have liked to have seen more, but I know for a fact Capcom are wanting to move on and do other things, so I can't really see this being true, but I'd appreciate it if it was. Actually, speaking of uh, next-gen hardware, just before we went online, uh, Jeff Keighley, uh, one of the like prominent figures in gaming, uh, teased that or posted up a video of uh, like what Unreal Engine 5 is going to look like. Yeah, the amount of people that assumed that this was a real game, fucking hilarious. Like, it's a tech demo. Yeah. Don't get excited. And like, for, for, for what it's worth, it is a gorgeous tech demo. I am suitably impressed, but I always keep in the back of your head, this is a tailored, finished product that was designed to look good. Yeah, this is designed... It's like when you go into a car phone where no, a PC World, or you go into Curry's or something, or whatever the some big uh, electronics retailer, and you see the 4K TVs, like cranked up to 11. They're on. They're showing a specialized Blu-ray that's meant to show every single like different color and height and ultra high definition. Like you're never going to get that same quality when you go home yeah. and you plug in your 4K TV and you start playing standard definition. Uh, television you're gonna get weird washed out colors yeah that's what tech for for other video games it's just let's make it look as shiny as possible so people will buy it yeah there's an art form that goes into making those like ultra like 4k really bright vibrant videos and uh like it's if you've ever watched enough of the slow-mo guys and they're behind the scenes stuff you realize how much lighting and extra like work is put into making stuff look that good i don't know if you uh you watched their video about the the glitter that they used. They wanted to try and push YouTube as far as they could and then just dropped glitter and had like massive amounts of glitter falling in uh, yeah. slow motion. As the uncle of a seven year old girl, glitter gives me anxiety, so I didn't watch it. It's, uh, uh, it's something else. I mean, it looked cool, but I can't watch glitter without, you know, feeling that it's on me somewhere. There's <laughs> just, I, just I a feeling about... in the spine, just. Oh. I I spent I shit you know I spent a week washing glitter out of my beard when I got when my niece just threw a handful at me <laughs> two years ago. Literally, she just went, Uncle Dom, what's this? And I just had green and red and pink glitter strewn through my beard, and I just had to keep shaking it and scratching. 
your niece is a pain in the ass. I'm just going to come out right and say it. <laughs> yeah. Dude, like, it's one of those things where, like, I would do the same to someone, so I couldn't really punish her for it. I was just like, it was funny. I appreciated the funny side. But no, that's one of the things I miss about lockdown. Like, because I used to babysit my niece quite a lot and, like, not being able to hang out with her, like, do dumb shit. Like, just say, hey, Lily, go and punch your dad in the nuts or something. It's, it's a little bit difficult, but I know for a fact if she's at home, she's safe. So it's, it's good on that account. Uh, plus, she's watching a lot of really, really good old cartoons. Like, she's watching the original DuckTales and she's watching. Ooh. She watched Gravity Falls. Uh, I think my older brother is trying to get her into Ed, Ed, and Eddie, but that's a slow burn. You need to trickle that down to a young child. That's uh without being weird, it, that's a guy show though. That that is like a dumb boy show. Like for the yeah. just run around having dumb boy adventures, it might be a hard sell to a little girl. Yeah, but she's she's a strange child. <laughs> she she'll love Ed as she'll love Ed as we all do. Yeah, she probably she probably will. Or Rolf, I can see her loving Rolf. <laughs> but yeah, she'll she'll get in it. I I guarantee that. The edits of uh, Rolf into Dragon Ball Z are the funniest fucking thing I've ever seen. That's because uh, Peter Kalamis used to voice Goku in the original Canadian dub of Dragon Ball. So The idea it, of a Canadian dub of Dragon Ball has sent my mind racing. Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great, I'll tell you. Because that's where it started off with the... Uh, it went Big Blue dubs, then it went Four Kids, then it went Funimation. At least I think it was Big Blue. Whatever it was. But yeah, it was originally, it went Canada, four kids, uh, I think they are somewhere in America, then it went Texas to Funimation. Yeah, and the, the voice changes are very noticeable. Yeah. I actually was uh, looking into like the, the rating for uh, Dragon Ball overall as a franchise. Um, Dragon Ball original is like 350 out of the thousands of anime that have been made. So it's like top 350 of all time. Dragon Ball Z is just in the top 300. Um, Dragon Ball Super is like 1,500. Apparently hmm. people just do not enjoy the new stuff from Dragon Ball Z. Uh, I can kind of see why the people that were really interested in Dragon Ball Super probably watched it in the original subbed quality, which was awful. I'm so glad that when I started watching Dragon Ball Super, I skipped the Battle of Gods arc and I skipped the Resurrection F arc. Because I've got the Blu-rays. Why would I watch them in lesser quality? Yeah. Uh, so I just skipped straight to the the Universe 6-7 tournament. And I was like, oh, okay, they, they picked up the quality. It's still a bit shaky, but mm. it, it's pretty good. But then I went back and rewatched it for the English dub, and they've cleaned it way the fuck up. Yes. Pretty damn good, man. So yeah, a lot of people probably dropped out, and it's just been review-bombed by a pretty bad start to the show. Yeah. Then again... A lot of people, and I mean a lot of people, Dragon Ball fans mainly, were not looking forward to Dragon Ball Super because of Dragon Ball GT, that thing that we all wish never happened. And it's that thing that didn't it, happen. It didn't happen. Uh, but that kind of spoiled a lot of people for Super because they just thought, well, it's going to be a new GT or it's going to continue after GT. I don't give a fuck. Yeah. But then when they said it was going back to... <laughs> Erase most of history, yes. Yeah, they're just going to wipe out that timeline and start a new one. I think, I don't know. A lot of people just thought maybe Dragon Ball has had its time and they'd moved on to other anime. Because a lot of people that I know who were huge Dragon Ball fans back in the day now actively avoid Dragon Ball and now look towards shows like Naruto and 
uh, newer anime for their fight shows, and I just thought, well, why would you go there when you've got Dragon Ball right there? Yeah, there's a reason. It's, is there the, is the OG though? But I think you 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 got to realize that everyone has iterated on Dragon Ball to make better yeah. shows now. I mean, you don't get Naruto without Dragon Ball because Naruto is literally Naruto's design is literally based on Super Saiyan Goku, <laughs> and Sasuke is quite literally based on Vegeta in every sense of the word. Just not as good as my opinion. Speaking of Dragon Ball Z, uh, you said there was a fighter that got added to the fighters roster. Yeah, uh, they added in yet another Goku. Uh, oh, God damn uh, it. They, <laughs> they added in the uh, Mastered Ultra Instinct Goku, which I challenge you to say six times while holding ice in your mouth, because I guarantee you can't. Uh, I don't know why I said holding ice in your mouth. I should have said well drunk. I'm in a weird mood, man. Isolation's getting to me. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> I, I devise weirdly complicated problems for people to solve. Yeah, it's, it's getting weird, man. The sooner we get out for more than an hour, the better. But yeah, uh, Master Doctor Instinct Goku got added into the game, and from what I've heard, people are already comparing him to Virgil from Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom 3, and for those of you who don't know who that is, that's what you call a game-breaking character. Uh, Virgil literally destroyed Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom 3's competitive scene because Virgil was such a fucking good character who could just do everything. He was massively utilised and he had such he had so many tools in his toolkit that the right character could destroy your entire three person team using just Virgil. And from what I've heard about Ultra Instinct Goku is he's more of the same of that. Because he can dodge he can literally sidestep attacks and he can just do like quick setup combos and because most of his combos there'll be an initial punch then Goku will jump away. Then you start taking damage you can set up some mad stunlock combos. So, from what I've heard, Ultra Instinct Goku, cool that he's in the game, but he might be breaking the game. It sounds like they tried to actually put him from the anime into the game, and then realised, yeah. oh wait, no, like this is supposed to be broken. Yeah, and it it works. They put in Ultra Instinct Goku, and he broke the game. He just completely fucked the game. I just can't believe you keep going back to more and more Gokus when there's so many good characters in Super that you could take out of there. Yeah. I wanted more. Like, I want Whis in the game. I want Whis as a playable character. Look, you can't complain about stuff being overpowered and then say, I think we should get Whis in here. I'm not complaining about it being overpowered. <laughs> like, I've, I've probably never played the game competitively. I'll, I'll only play it when people come around and play it to my house. Or if I ever decide to, you know, find someone that I play games with them the regular and say dude jump on Dragon Ball for a bit I'm never going to play randoms online but uh, no I kind of want uh, I want Whis to be in the game Shitty be in the game I would also like uh, Wait, you cut out there you want Whis to be in the game you want Master Roshi did you say? Yeah Master Roshi Master Roshi uh, There was someone else that I was just thinking they'd be cool if they were in the game but just purely for my own like satisfaction in the game I think it was something like oh yeah Android 13 I want him and his trucker hat to be in the game. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> after, after re-watching some of the Dragon Ball movies online through completely legitimate means, there's not that many good Dragon Ball movies. Like, I think Android 13 and some of the cooler movies might be the only good ones. The cooler movies are pretty good. I just prefer the uh, Team 4-star version of just about every movie, though. Yeah. Oh, have you have you watched the, uh, the Broly movies anytime recently? Um, the, like, as the actual, the, the proper, the, the Dragon Ball version, not like the Team 4 Star versions. Uh, either. 
I suppose uh, the original dub Dragon Ball version, not the Team Four Star version. Um, I watched them not that long ago. I think I watched it before we watched the like the Broly movie itself. So it would have been like within the last eighteen months to two years. Yeah. The first one is watchable. First one is good. Okay. I like it. Second one. The second was... one is brain dead. Second one's second okay one. for the father son Kamehameha. Yeah, the second one is only good at the end of it when they do the the family Kamehameha with Goten, Goku and Gohan. Yes, but it's still such a bad movie. Like, they're all bad. <laughs> Remember, we're talking about a guy whose special thing is he just punches people. There's no like politics. There's no debating. There's no yeah. philosophy. It's just I will scream and punch you in the face, and then you yeah. will scream and punch me in the face. And the last and man standing wins. Then there's Bio Broly, and we'll not, we won't talk about that. Didn't it makes me so glad that we have uh, Dragon Ball Super Broly, because that movie is just like chef's kiss insulin. Oh, yes. uh, excellent. Such a good movie. As we talked about like uh, screaming and slapping people, I watched uh, Joe Rogan put out a, a clip of like slap fights, like professional slap fights. Holy oh, shit. Yeah, that shit is brutal. It was so funny. There was like a guy who's like all tattooed up. He looks kind of like blonde Skrillex. And he steps up to a big man and slaps him. And I think there should be a rule in professional slap fighting that if you slap someone as hard as you can and their head doesn't move, you could just bow out. You can just say, no, yeah. my bad, I thought I had this. You clearly are something fucking else. Yeah, I think I've seen that. And the guy whose hand is about the size of the other dude's head just fucking belts someone right across the face. <laughs> hey, they moved the table. The guy falls back but has his hand still on the table and you see the table move. <laughs> oh, it's, it's insane. It's not like it's not quality content, it's not a sport, it's not something I ever want to see. And if I ever see somebody like say, Hey, I'm gonna start I'm gonna start slap fighting, I'm like, dude, just, just no. Like MMA's a thing. Like that shit in. That would be an interesting uh, way to solve MMA fights if it comes down to a complete draw, just a slap fight in the middle of the ring. It would be funny to see, like full, <laughs> full-grown MMA fighters. Like you just see, like GSP against uh, like Cowboy Cerrone just slapping each other each other for a, to finish a fight. There's a, a story about a guy who interviewed a professional like WWE wrestler uh, back in the late '80s and '90s, who obviously during an interview says, "Wrestling's fake, right?" At that point, the wrestler decides to just like lift his hand and clap the boy over the side of the head. He hit him exactly like the palm of the hand hit him in the ear and ruptured his ear. And which the wrestler said, does that seem fake to you? <laughs> like, holy, like, there's something about the slap that you can get off, like, with the meat of the hand. It just, it's not, like, it's not a good way to, like, end a fight. And uh, I can't remember who that guy was. I'm trying to remember who, who it was that was in the interview because I'm pretty sure he was then blacklisted and then basically shut down for a while because he assaulted a reporter. Yeah, I can imagine that. If you hit someone's head so hard that their eardrum rips us, yeah, you deserve all that's coming to you, man. Mm. Um, I actually, speaking of deserving what's coming to you, there are some lawsuits flying around in uh, the video game universe. And this was an, a weird one. It's a guy called Billy Mitchell, uh, known as the King of Kong. Uh, he is responsible for a couple of video game records. He has the highest scores on the, like, the original Donkey Kong like arcade cabinets. I think he had it on uh, Donkey Kong Jr. as well. Um, but he also has one for Pac-Man. And like he just also sees uh, world records. 
but a lot of people think that he has faked some results, like he hasn't been entirely true about what's been said and done um, to attain these records. And basically, Billy Mitchell is saying that everyone who's accusing him of faking this has uh, committed defamation. So he's now suing um, four different people, including the people who host the records. Uh, I think it's called Twin Galaxies. He's now suing those people for defamation and is roughly looking for about thirteen million in damages. It's uh, interesting. All from a, a defamation suit. Yeah, um, it's basically the idea is that Billy Mitchell has spent an entire career since the late eighties and early nineties developing himself as the greatest gamer of all time, um, which he apparently has been given a plaque for from the guys who made uh, like Pac-Man um, I don't know if you uh, the, the Pac-Man world's uh, record is over 3 million points yeah then the game just stops playing itself like if you get to 3 million points the game literally becomes unplayable yeah like half the screen is just covered in like random garbage text and yep. the game is unplayable and to get that far you, you're basically overloading the actual system and it takes 5 hours of gameplay and uh, the the note I found was that uh, to get to that level of points, you need to get every dot, every fruit, and every ghost on 250 screens. And I yep. said, it takes six hours of gameplay, perfect, to get to this point. Um, and apparently, uh, Billy Mitchell had this record. He was one of the first people to do it. There's disputes over who was actually the first, and then there was disputes over Billy Mitchell's record. Um, like his actual uh, taping of it is a bit iffy and there's a lot of uh, complaints about him using simulators which isn't supposed to be allowed uh, under the organisation uh, Twin Galaxies but he's now suing everyone involved in the defamation uh, including a guy called Apollo Legend whose videos on the issue are now like 5 million hits per video if you type in uh, King of Kong into YouTube it's you get a movie recommended to you called the king of kong which is about uh, billy mitchell and a bunch of other people going for these like great records in gaming history and then you get uh like the apollo videos coming up afterwards apollo legend videos explaining that he's basically lying and that he's faked information he's faked data he's uh spliced together some uh youtube videos or, like the videos he sent into people and that he basically has been defrauding gaming for years and he's how many people is he suing? It was four. So he's suing the Paul Legend. He's suing the organization Twin Galaxies. He's mm-hmm. suing a an owner, a former owner of Twin Galaxies, and he's suing someone else who's making similar claims about him faking these uh, results. Yeah, I'm not sure how. I mean, his chances of success aren't great. I'm going to say because the whole point of a defamation suit in any legal system is a trying to prove that someone else's statements were A, untrue and because of them being untrue it's likely to lower your reputation in the views, in the eyes of other people I'm not sure that he's got much of a reputation to tarnish Yeah, like, um, well, uh, and the thing uh, is Apollo Legend provides some information and evidence in his videos for um, the, the accusation against uh, Billy Mitchell, but I think the argument is going to be back and forth on whether or not the evidence presented is true um, and then it comes down to a lot of like just kind of legal technicalities that will just be an absolute delight to sort through yeah 
Although I don't know if it's... Uh, it's this is in America, right? Yes. Uh, one of the lawsuits is taking place in Florida, because that's where uh, some of the parties are. And then I think mm-hmm. the other three are taking place in California. Yeah. I don't know if it's the same in uh, Florida and California under their law, but in Scotland it becomes the point of the defendant, who would be this Billy Mitchell dude, to prove that all the evidence that piled, that's piled against him is false. So it would it'd be a lot of work for him to draw information from four different sources and then say that all four statements that are made are completely untrue. He would then have to go and prove just a shit ton of like, go through different threads. Yeah. Probably going to cost him several thousand dollars. Yeah, well, the, the prices are weird. Um, it, well, actually, in a like twist, Apollo Legend is now spearheading a counter lawsuit. So Billy Mitchell's suing four people involved. Uh, Apollo Legend is one of those people. He is then going to file his own lawsuit for defamation against Billy Mitchell. Because Billy Mitchell okay. is now publicly accusing him of lying. So they're basically going to fire back lawsuits at each other. And uh, the price cost this... I mean, uh, this Apollo Legend guy has sent... Uh, he's contacted a lawyer and said, how much for you to take this case? He somehow walked away with a figure of ten grand. Ten grand is not going to get you through the door for this type yeah, of case. Ten, ten grand for a defamation suit, that probably be ten grand per interaction because that's... Nah, something seems kosher about that one. <laughs> the, the amount of um, digging you're going to have to do to get to this is uh, going to be horrific. The amount of information you have to find, everyone who's involved. I think um, like Apollo Legend is accusing Billy Mitchell of faking an email. Um, so they now need to subpoena Hotmail or Google or Gmail or something like that to get the original emails to prove that it was fake. Um, so they need a verifiable version of that. The amount of effort that's going to go into that subpoena alone is going to make it unreal. But interestingly enough, he put up a Kickstarter for the, the, the legal uh, funds and he asked for the 10k. He got 27 grand in three days. I don't know who Billy Mitchell really is, but he has pissed off a lot of people. If you can, out of spite, fund 27 grand of uh, legal fees in three days. Yeah, that, I mean, that guy's got to be some kind of dick. Like, some kind of real asshole in the, the gaming world. You should see some interviews with him. <laughs> I think the, the harshest comment I've seen might be, he looks like the, the knockoff version of uh, Keanu Reeves. Oh shit! Dude, that was harsh. Because <laughs> you look at it, you go, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's always weird when you look at someone and think, oh, that you, that is, that is true. Like I was watching a, I was watching a Jontron video, uh, his latest video yesterday. I was sitting watching it with my brother, and there's, it was a weird, like Jontron's whole thing behind his channel is he takes, like weird old TV shows and weird old games, and he kind of does a little deep dive into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, takes the piss out of it there's a lot of parody in it and he was doing uh, this show I think it was called Kid Nation and one of the kids in there I just said randomly in passing do you not think he, that girl looks a little bit like uh, Macaulay Culkin in a wig and then <laughs> for the rest of the video it's just like there's Macaulay Culkin in a Wendy's wig <laughs> I uh, I watched that video as well last night it's really fucking good although I will say the my favourite of the JonTron videos, other than the flex, the flex tape ones are fantastic. Flex tape and flex seal are great. Yeah, he, he putting some manners on that one. And the the other one was the Dan Aykroyd Crystal Head vodka. Yeah, I I uh, 
make sure and watch the Dan Aykroyd Crystal Head Vodka episode just every couple weeks because it's fucking great. <laughs> just that when he busts it. out when he busts out the bell and just starts rattling it around, it goes four minutes and thirty two seconds, four minutes and thirty two seconds in this commercial about vodka until this man finally talked about vodka. And I'm like, that is the funniest fucking thing I have just it's so out of nowhere. Just start rattling a bell around and start screaming about the pacing of a commercial about vodka. Like it, another good part of that is like you can't see all these fancy words and all these like out of the out of this world concepts and then just say, well, why did we do this? Like you, those things don't connect. <laughs> why? It's uh, I, I enjoy the the clip of Larry King taking shots of vodka and just <laughs> not handling it well. Like that guy is not okay to be just downing vodka as much as he possibly can. The start of the ruinish. Uh, <laughs> So I'll be I'll be keeping an eye on the Billy Mitchell thing. It's uh yeah. it's a total mess. And I, I think it's gonna get uh bogged down for a bit and I think everyone's gonna just get their ass handed to them by a judge who's gonna say you people need to sort of shit out. Um yeah. I think it all comes down to whether or not Billy Mitchell has the will to follow through on a lawsuit that is gonna take, I'd say, a couple of years to finish. It's so seeing it all the way with, through. With a defamation or actions of defamation. They don't always end with compensatory or compensation. More often than not, they end with just take the or publicly apologize for the misinformation. That's it. Yeah, retract your statements, issue an official apology, and pay my legal fees. Yeah, that's it. Like you'd be lucky if you get thirty thousand dollars out of this, unless it's been shown that you have been like, put out of work, you've lost money, you've done this, you've done that. Yeah, I can't imagine him getting what he wants out of this. I think it was the, the HDH3 case against Matt Hoss. Uh, there was a guy trying to sue HDH3 Productions for a video they made. His, uh, one of his uh, like things he wanted at the victory was that they would put uh, an apology video on their YouTube channel and have it be the top like pinned video, the, the channel intro, uh, for the mm. next three years. Yeah, they lost that case hard though. HDH3 took that guy at the bank. Oh, yes. Matt Hoss yeah. got his ass handed to him quite rightly so um, for yeah. basically not understanding fair use. Yeah, and that and that kind of that, that case ended up with a hefty settlement for HD HD. Yeah, they did alright. Oh, uh, like another fucking debacle where uh, he set up the Fair Use Protection Alliance or something. Fair, fair, fair Use Protection. <laughs> he but, made yeah. it purely to say it, spell out the word FUPA. That is hilarious. Yeah. Some Indian dude on YouTube was having a go at him saying, like, you took money out of the FUPA fund and used it to buy your $10 million mansion. I was like, dude, this isn't going to end well. H3H3 takes people down for fun. <laughs> yeah, especially when you remember, they are not just a YouTube channel. They're a clothing brand. There are, like, the, there's the actual sponsorships they have from the podcast. Like, they have a, a steady income outside yeah. of just stealing money from a protection agency they, they set up. Yeah, which I think... It's still ongoing and is still being used for certain things, but not many people are going after the fair use angle anymore. So, although there was an interesting one with, uh, do you know Sargon of Cad? I know the name. Kind of an asshole. <laughs> he's yeah. uh, he, he's a YouTuber, political type of guy. He is actually part of UKIP, or he was, I think. I don't know if he's still there, but okay. uh, he has done some weird shit in his career, and I don't actually like the guy. But I was aware of the fact he got involved in the fair use argument with uh, Akila, obviously, who is a YouTuber. And 
Akila posted a video about, I think it was like Hillary Clinton losing the election. And I went on like mm-hmm. a, a 20 minute rant. Um, Sargon of Akkad cut out four random chunks of the video, uh, put it into his own video, and then like it just it was just those clips. There was no commentary, there was no nothing. But he managed to post that on his own YouTube channel with a new title and the four random clips out of context to create a new video. And that was deemed fair use. Hmm. Which is interesting because it, it, it shifts the bar like way closer to like being easier to pass unfair use than it had been previously by a long margin like the, mm. the it is I think it is fair use to take the clips out of context and then edit them in a new way and present them under a new title I, mm. you could argue that and it has been argued in court and they won um, so I can see that there is the argument there but that is the least amount of effort I could consider for yeah. fair use yeah it does kind of sound like they shifted the goalposts on that one but that's that's the thing with laws. Like, if you look at the the new hate crime bill that's going through the Scottish Parliament right now, they've intentionally left it. it this a lot of people have been saying it's it's a bit too vague, but I think they've intentionally left it vague so it can be easily malleable to certain situations, which is a bit of a weird aspect of Scots law. But if you read the actual like sort of preamble for that, it's just, it's removed the law or it's removed the the crime of blasphemy essentially so you can say whatever the hell you want about religion it's not a crime they actually look for more definitive uh, crimes such as you know owning uh, racially insensitive or hate crime inciting materials that kind of thing so it, it's it's definitely it's weird to see them using fair use in that kind of in that kind of way yeah I think that because I remember texting you about that and I think they've left it very vague and very broad, so that when they take steps to like shrink the focus down, like they make it a bit more targeted, like what the final bill will actually be once it's all argued out in the in the uh, in the parliament. I think yeah. that like they've kind of like a like a negotiating tactic. Like if I want five million quid and I'm negotiating with you, I'll say I want seven million pounds, knowing that I can then drop it down to five, yeah. which was my angle. And it's still in the the hate crime bill. It's still in its first stage, so it's still got you know back and forth, then second stage, then amendments, then more back and forth. So it's going to be at least a year or two before that actually comes to fruition. Yeah, I think it needs a couple more drafts because I t- I read it and I was like, that's real open ended. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it can needs to be though because if you've gotten most of what can be can be considered a hate crime is kind of open to interpretation. So you'd need to be able to bend it slightly to see, like, if what is hate crime to a, to say, a Nigerian Catholic as opposed to a Norwegian, like, Jehovah's Witness. Like, you need to be able to change the... <laughs> I just wanted to know what you were going to say there. I just, I needed to know. I was like, I, I can't interrupt him. I need to know what he comes up with. Norwegian Jehovah's Witness it is, ladies and gentlemen. I think we yeah, found the episode title that. as well. Norwegian Jehovah's Witness. <laughs> Hell, I'd pay attention if they were from Norway. Uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's a weird fact of law that it's always been left slightly open to interpretation, not just for like judges and their judicial interpretations, but more for if they give it steadfast defined rules, people will find ways around those steadfast defined rules. Yeah, and I think it's, it, as you say, so people will just dig under it because you've left it in one key location. There's ways around it. Yeah, once you've started to write, once you start to draw a line, people will immediately push themselves right up to the limit of that line. 
Yeah. Like people will have like their heels up against the line, but not actually over the line. <laughs> Doesn't Karen I'm not touching this side and you're like, God damn it. <laughs> I will put you in jail, asshole. <laughs> give, give me a reason, please. Like yeah, I we'll, we'll find out how that goes. Uh yeah. I think we're ready for the showstopper. Indeed we are. Do you want to take this one or or can I? Because I'm not gonna lie, I kinda like this one. Uh yeah, I'll let you go for it, because I I can't find a way to talk about it without getting really, really mad. <laughs> I I kinda think it's I think it's quite a, a unique story. It could only happen in this time, but I mean right now the worst thing that we as regular people are having to deal with is the the C virus, the coronavirus. Uh, no one wants to catch it. People are staying indoors to get away from it. Unless you're in prison where prisoners in America are actively trying to catch coronavirus so that they can be released from prison. The fuck? Yeah, it's uh, it, it's a weird one because this is like... It, 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 prison populations are massive risk for COVID-19 because they are in close proximity. They're sharing the same air that's passed around between everyone in close quarters, there's people living in the same room right now for their like twenty hours a day. Once a corona, once coronavirus hits a, a prison population, it will explode. So the idea yeah. that someone would actively try and make it happen, I mean, you can see the video. I've I've actually got it pulled up on uh, Sky News, uh, who are a UK uh, news agency, and the video is a bunch of people standing in a circle, passing around a water bottle that a person who has COVID symptoms has coughed into and they're passing it around like they've mixed the water and what they hope is the covid uh viral units and they're all taking swigs out of it in a circle and you, it's fascinating to think that this is uh this is what it's come to in certain places uh, my, my news source wasn't as official as yours <laughs> i got this from a uh, philly d <laughs> Wait, it's, it's, it's philly the same d. footage and i saw the philip defranco coverage as well yeah uh yeah it's it's a real one because they have actually evacuated some prisoners from certain uh, low-risk facilities. Uh, right now, there is a rapper called Takashi69 who was uh, basically put out on house arrest because it's better in some cases to get the prisoners out, reduce the population within a prison, uh, spread people out using like one cell, mate, one cell, um, to try and spread people out and reduce the impact. But they like have released certain people on house arrest, and we actually did some googling before this. I thought that Bill Cosby was out for some reason. Yeah, he he wasn't getting out. He is <laughs> never getting out. He's getting out. It's him and Weinstein sharing a cell right now. And we're not making the joke we made in the pre-show. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember it. Probably that's something to do with the Zimmer frame. <laughs> uh, no, 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 it was not. Uh, we see. So yeah, there's. I can't remember it. So we're safe. Yeah, but there's a lot of guys in this prison in this video, and there's like about twenty people all in a in a kind of uh, cafeteria room or like a a break room, or whatever it is. I've never been inside of a prison, so I don't know. But they're all uh, sharing the same space, and just I think they're actually there's some talk about them coughing on each other as well. I mean, I'd love to see the conversation when people are like, "Hey, dude, hey, you're breaking people out of prison. What are you <laughs> going to do? You're going to dig us out? You're going to cut the cut a hole in the fence? And we're going to just walk out to freedom? No, dog. Here's the plan." I'll cough on you, you cough on me, then we just don't wash our hands. <laughs> so proof. I just, I just can't wait for uh, this version of The Longest Yard. It's going to suck so much. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. It can't be much worse than the Adam Sandler version. Hey, that brought us Joey Diaz, alright? Joey Diaz was in Spider-Man 2 long before The Longest Yard. Is The Longest Yard before or after Spider-Man 2? 
Uh, I think it was well after Spider-Man 2. Oh. oh, well. We'll find out soon. Yeah, we'll find out soon. Uh, in the meantime, if you'd like to correct us on our uh, Joey Diaz trivia, or if you'd like to recommend us some more music, uh, you can tweet us at Jibberfish, or you can email the podcast at uh, Podcast at gmail.com. And I've been Colin Graham. I've been Dom Anderson. And we've been talking Jibberfish. <laughs>